Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like we were saying, like recording. Um, it's it is good pre-recording, especially with OPSEC language. But yeah, I mean, recently I've gone yeah. through a major, uh, as you were saying, transition. Onwards <laughs> <Huh. laughs> <laughs> and upwards. Um, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, so people yeah, don't know. This... I recently left Break the Rules um, in less than stellar circumstances, but it was a long time coming, and now I'm doing good things. I've uh, squashed a number of Twitter beefs with people that are also coming awesome. on break on content minded. And uh, yeah, I'm really good. It's giving me a lot of the freedom to do the shit that uh, I want to do with people that I want to do them with. And uh, I don't have to, uh, <laughs> never mind. I'm not going to say anything. But like, <laughs> put it this way. It's been a liberating experience. And I, now I'm getting paid to patreon.com slash giant. Art productions, <laughs> shameless, <laughs> yeah, shameless. The, the um, money helps. The money helps. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it does, man. It, it makes me want to like edit stuff, and I have a back catalog of like I have a bunch of friends, like Prudentialist. Um, my friend oh, Alex yeah, follows him. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a um, Russian journalist friend who uh, I think I'm actually gonna have to only put that one on Odyssey and Patreon because <laughs> the way <laughs> things are right now. Um, <laughs> But uh, what else? I have um, oh, but a bunch of great people that are coming on. Even people that people don't expect either. Yeah, um, I mean, um, yeah. we were going to, but by the answer to this is probably no, because I'm sure you are pretty, you, you plan out what you're going to do. But if you want to do this as any kind of simulcast, if you want to post it to your channels in any form. Um, yeah, that can work. 100%, 100% yeah. welcome to. I'll uh, post snippets to promo it too. Yeah, like, oh, oh, yeah, we, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, we, we'd yeah. love yeah. for this to be your episode too. Both of yeah. our Yeah, I did that with Sam with his podcast. We did a great one. It took That one actually took a lot of research. I had to reread um, the Francis Bacon book on, uh, sorry, the Deleuze book on Francis Bacon. That's a great uh, episode. Oh man, I gotta, I gotta read that. Yeah. Before, uh, I mean, I think we'll actually probably just keep this recording in the show because we've already touched on some good stuff. But uh, let yeah. me just do, do our little intro first and then we'll, we'll keep going. Um, so I'm just gonna say, right. <clears throat> this is The New Right, a podcast for the lost arts, reclaiming the literary holy land from the heathen. This is Matt Pegas. And this is Dan Baltic. And we're here today with Gio Panicetti, uh, a Twitter e-celeb who needs no introduction to our <laughs> sphere. <laughs> Would you use that? I don't know if you'd use that word, but you're definitely well, very well I'm known honored, and beloved. I'm yeah. I finally made it to e-celeb status. <laughs> Absolutely. There you go. Um, um, 
at the very least, Nice Lab within our sphere, which, you know, we we always, pretty much every episode, Dan and I end up dancing over, like, is it the dissident, right? Is it frog Twitter? Is it something else? And I, I noticed, Gio, that you have joined Catherine D, or maybe you, you probably did it, you may have done it before Default Friend, but, like, you, you're one of these people who calls it the online right or the e-right, which I yeah. think that i don't it to me it's not super catchy because it's not it doesn't feel as descriptive yet at the same time i do think it's the best descriptor because you know frog twitter mm-hmm. is just one piece of the puzzle dissident right yeah. that's a little too narrowly ideological yeah i think this is the the online writer the e-write um so yeah you are a major figure within that and you're also of course I, i'm just intro obviously i said you need no introduction but i'm still gonna give one uh, go in ahead. case any of our <laughs> listeners I love flattery. Uh, <laughs> in case any of our listeners are not familiar, Gio is an artist and a real artist. I mean, not that meme makers aren't real artists because they are, but not only do you, I'm sure you've dabbled in making memes, but you are a, oh. a real, a real fucking painter, you know, with a, with yeah. acrylics and a real uh, carver of wood. You have, you know, you're a prolific artist uh, with, you know, your, your works on Instagram, on Facebook. People should check it out. I was saying this to Dan the other night. You're, you know, you're friends with my good friend, Robert Stark. In fact, oh yeah. The first time we ever spoke was on his podcast. Um, Stark, you know, that was actually a notch on the belt for me. I've been listening to Stark Truth Radio for years. Really? Was, oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. 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 He interviewed everybody, man. Like even He's an OG. Yeah. Even some people we don't like anymore. <laughs> even some people we don't oh, like no, anymore man, multiple times. Content. Yeah, no. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get into that later, too. Because, yeah, Stark is, uh, you know, he never really, and it, he'll be, I don't mean to black pill him if he hears this. He never like got like the big, big following, but no. like the cool people know him, like the OGs know him because he's been around and his content is fucking great. Uh, yeah. it, you know, uh, or he's another... like your favorite band's favorite bands. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. it's, he's like yeah. proto proto punk vibes. And like, uh, yeah. And I, I think not, not to sidetrack too much. Here, I think flying under the radar, while it doesn't lead to like, you know, making a lot of money off your content or something like, I think it's helped him with his sort of longevity, but anyway, we'll talk, maybe we'll talk more Stark later, but I was going to say like him and you are pretty much the only people in this sphere that I know who like, and I'm probably wrong. And there's someone I'm neglecting, but who really do like real, like quasi classical or just classical art, uh, you know, painting. Um, So that's definitely Something I would, you know, along with Robert, I would highlight you for is like, uh, along with all the meme makers, like there's not a lot of people who really just like do serious art, but Geo is absolutely one of them. Well, there's a few. I mean, there's a lot of friends of mine. Um, I would Matthew imagine. Stout, yeah. uh, um, Finn de Villers is an actual sculptor, one of the few great sculptors left in the world. Um, a bunch of people I know. Um, there are even people that are like loosely associated who know about it, but don't explicitly brand them <clears throat> as like part of the scene. Like, um, yeah who uh the second place winner of passage prize um kenneth brown uh yeah he uh recently went on my friend pharaoh's podcast um there are there are a number of people but i i know like in terms of explicit uh art content i mean i'm one of the few that's known like me well owen cyclops obviously right um but owen cyclops is more of an illustrator and more exactly a storyteller um he's dabbled in final he's done final yeah but um what, because again, I think me and uh, my my good my good good friend of me, Paul Rhodes, uh, Paul Talk, we talk about um, uh, yeah, I know him. yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we we like okay, he had he had a good actually video about this. Like, what is fine art, right? What is fine art? Fine art is, and it's not just like the standalone content, but it's looking at a subject matter and 
confronting different challenges with each piece. Whereas an illustrator is very tight in what they do. If you're doing series work, you know what you're doing. You have a very you have a certain execution and a style of doing it. But with fine art, you're sort of open. Like there is style. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But it seems that every piece that you're doing has its own set of unique properties and challenges, even though there are, I mean, most fine artists nowadays in, in the art world will do series work because it's like, I've never believed in that. I mean, I do have a style, I, I would think, but like the whole, like, I have to have a certain thing that I paint and I do and like a certain thing that I do it in, a certain way I do it in um, to brand myself. Like that, the, that's how most people get ahead in the fine art world. Nowadays, that I mean, it seems yeah. kind of like the distinction between literary fiction and genre fiction. Oh, like genre fiction is yeah. like you have a style that you do it in, it follows the rules of that genre. Whereas a literary fiction is fiction as art, and yeah. you are, you know, your goal is to make a piece of art. So, I maybe I'm reading more into this than there is, but uh, the distinction that you mentioned between fine art and other forms of art that are more narrow like that that seems pretty oh, apt yeah. yeah but who makes more money in that equation uh true very genre true. fiction yeah. right right yeah, yeah. And same thing for art i would imagine right those if you can be in a part of an industry um the, the several air world so monumentally fucked but like um, <laughs> if it, it's it's same with the literary world the parallel it's same with academia because remember both the liter like I okay I don't read a lot of fiction but I have no friends who are you know um it seems that both the time that the literary world sold its soul to the MFA programs and the contemporary yeah. world sold its soul to the, the MFA programs to academia it seems that they've sort of gone along a similar trajectory of decline where people that are writing in MFA programs what are they doing they're writing books for other people in MFA programs yeah absolutely people in the People in the contemporary world in New York, especially, they get cropped to do very specific things, very specific people, very specific narrow band of like, you know, politics or whatever. But I do think that in both of them, there still is, I mean, even artists that people consider like libs or whatever, or people that other people would find insufferable. I do think that there is a value in that. Um, even as a purely intellectual exercise. Like, for example, I do not um, particularly like the politics of someone like Cecily Brown, but I think her paintings are stunning and amazing. And she's one mm -hmm. of the only people doing mural work or not doing, well, doing triptych and mural work nowadays in a very painterly fashion, pure painting. Um, but, but she's like, her politics are horrendous. I mean, yeah. Obviously. Same with Jenny Savile. Yeah. As with all of them, like if you're a mainstream successful artist, yeah. you know, as we all well know, you, you know, it's, it's very difficult to yeah. succeed with right wing politics. It's the same with the books and movies, too, of course. You know, I can't right. even think of a good example of someone who's like a, a great novelist whose politics I, I, I despise or anything because I don't even read a lot of contemporary novelists. But, you know, oh, I guess Franzen. I, I, I like some of Franzen's work, but his politics are They say are Franzen's bad. an yeah. old school lib, though. Like he's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like 90s lib. <laughs> like, 90s lib combined with like uh, uh, climate apocalypse, yeah. you know, sort of prediction. <laughs> but yeah. yes, nevertheless, no, he's not like woke per se. No, but you can um, spin that into based politics. I, I you, oh, I you mean, well, you absolutely can. You you just yeah. did this. Uh, I didn't hear all of it yet, but your your episode with Trash World, you know, oh <laughs> the, yeah, the Pine Tree yeah. Party of it all, absolutely could. 
it's i feel like some uh, tangent here we we do have an outline we'll stick to but like so i don't want to just get off on these heady intellectual topics but you do i do sometimes think like um people like friends and another like liberals who get really into uh like the environmental apocalypse is coming i feel like it's like their version of being based within like the general liberal worldview because like mm, it, yes. it's, it's a way of saying like uh, you know, modern. It's basically a way of saying modernity is garbage while still being liberal. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's yeah. a, that's great, yeah. actually. So I, it's I like I, it's like an inner instinct that comes out that way or something. I know Prudentialist. He talks about rivaling apocalypses, but I I think like the implications of that is quite interesting. How because in a way it fulfills all of the metrics of what we would call like colloquially based politics. It has a sort of finality to modernity. It has a, um, a reproach towards a sort of totalization of an outside beyond humanity's control, even though humanity ostensibly contributes to it. Uh, so it's like the, there's a nihilative principle to it. Um, but I would also say that it's different in that. I mean, it's different in the sense of like what quote unquote eco fascists where there's almost like a life-affirming character to it. Even someone like Lincola that talks about limiting the human population, uh, there's still is some, there's a verve there for life. Whereas I noticed left-wing apocalypticism when it comes to the environment, it sort of dovetails with the, the sort of what I call pop antinatalism. Yeah. That, that's being prop, you know, promoted on places like Twitter and TikTok, um, right, among right, Zoomers right. especially, right? I mean- there's something about it that's just very like cold and alienating and kind of like, like, uh, like Matthew yeah. McConaughey and true detective season one kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> Ligotti. Yeah. Yes. L- yeah. I mean, I actually yeah. like Ligotti. I think, I think, I believe you have something of an appreciation for Ligotti, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, there's a I'm lot more there. like CRM, but yeah, Ligotti. Yeah. Is a good I-, I like that stuff, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't like live by it. Cause I do think it's fundamental. <laughs> like the more I don't know if- live by it, you literally, you, can't. you literally can't. <laughs> I don't know if it's fair to call it the left wing side of that equation, but yeah, there, there is, it is like, it's the, it's the anti-modernity. It's the, the, whatever you said, like the nihil, the nihilistic thing, which can seem kind of base, but then it's like the version where it's like, it's all a mistake. We should all, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Is that fair to call that left wing? I think maybe. Cause yeah, I think the, the opposite version is a, an element of vitalism that you'd find in like a, a BAP or like a pine tree party, Mike Ma kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The latter being preferable but uh but yeah i guess by way of summing up uh the the sort of intro section here uh, i did want to also just highlight for anyone who doesn't know that you know we talked about how you're you know you're a you're a you're a twitter e-celeb and you're also an artist and the intersection of these two things is what led you to to recently be on the panel for passage prize as the art judge oh yeah Um, oh wow that was how was quite an experience (laughs) what was that like um what what uh like what um i mean how much art did you have to look at was it uh was it an overall positive experience what were some of the recurring themes you came across etc yeah yeah there it was a positive experience i i I didn't have as much work to do as As curtis yarvin (laughs) yeah Yeah. as um zero hp yeah my good friend zero hp lovecraft yeah but i did have to sort of make stark decisions and some of those decisions were helped by the committee by, by Lomez. And um, I think like the picks that we all came, we came to an agreement, I think 
that was pretty solid. There were people that I wanted to include, but for the nature of the contest rules, I couldn't. I got, I generally got a lot of art. I, I, um, not as much painting and sort of like fine art, but I did get quite a bit of illustrations. Um, I'm going to do a series of my sub Substack doing blurbs for some of the ones that I like. I have to get around to it. I've just been super busy with podcasting, everything else. Uh, but generally, like it, it was, it was easier to determine than ZHP or Moldbug because I think that the ambiguity between what was visually stunning and what wasn't is, you know, was was pretty present yeah I, that I, makes sense yeah yeah there was some that were just basically propaganda like literally one of them was just like photoshopped uh slices of bread with like uh fed post statements on them <laughs> like you know redact <laughs> politicians redact journalists blah 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 so uh, uh-huh. no, but there yeah there was other ones that were some of them were quite good but they were part of a series and i feel that it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have given them the breadth of you know, recognition if they would have won. Um, so I, I will cover some of them. Uh, there was a lot of illustrations from different series that people were working on. And that's always a mixed bag because some of them were good on their own, but they just, they jived, they didn't jive with like the message of what passage was going for. Yeah. It's always hard. Like when you see something good and you have to like, you know, you have to make his choice, a clear choice, the only three choices. Right. Um, so it was a good mm-hmm. experience. I mean, my, the biggest controversy of course, with my, was my friend King salmon fish. And I feel that um, like we were discussing on my podcast, content minded um, when, when the magazine comes out and the blurb that I wrote for hit for each painting, sorry, series of paintings. Yeah. Cause everyone <clears throat> had to submit these two pieces of art. Um, the blurb I wrote for King Salmonfish, I think, will become clear as to what he's doing with his meme art, or rather post-meme art, I would say. Um, and But I know, like, that generated, like, a fuck ton of content. Like, was he the I winner? Think he, what? Was he the number one winner? He was number three. He was number, number three. three. Okay, yeah. yeah. Trying to remember. No, number but one. Yes. Number one, uh, he's a friend of mine, Wide Dog. Number yeah. one, I felt if you had to pick, even though it's digital illustration, if you had to pick something that is an integral art that combines fashion message art visuals the history of modernist painting why dog he nailed everything i think yeah. why dog but 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 what i wanted to look for is that i don't want the typical bullshit like propaganda like uh <laughs> like i mean stuff that i'm also subject to as well you know Oh my God, I don't have a, you know, <laughs> I live in my basement. I don't have a girlfriend. Modernity is failing. The world must end. <laughs> like that type yeah. of shit. <laughs> I wanted something that fulfilled a positive vision. And I felt that White Dog fulfilled that. Like as much as, as you know, Kenneth Brown, his stuff was very much holistic. It's very neo-pagan. It's very, um, his, 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 you know, the, his chops with painting is unmatched, like even better than me. But I felt that White Dog offered a positive vision. That is what I wanted. A vital and positive vision that isn't the typical like right-wing miasma critique of modernity type of shit, which I mean, a lot of the stuff that I got that was pretty good, but yeah. it was too much. It was I didn't I didn't want the artwork to become propaganda in other words. Yeah. I, I, that was yeah. an explicit thing because when art be, like if you're going for again, this is very Walter Benjamin. If yeah. you're going for the aestheticization of politics, do not revert to the left-wing communist 
politicization of art. Like that is, you know, I, I feel like the problem with the contemporary right wing is that people just want propaganda more or less. They want like, mm. like either they want like the wheat field trad maiden wife, or they want like, some yeah. other horrific painting of like owning yeah. libs in other I definitely, words. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got some questions. I have to make this call about my car real quick. You guys oh, can no keep problem. talking. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, you guys keep talking. I'll be right back. So, no yeah, problem. no, I mean, it's definitely like, it's like popcorn. It's like, you know, junk food. You want the art that makes you feel good. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the, true. The, art, true. the art that actually changes things. It's not necessarily the art that makes you feel the best initially. Yeah. It's the art that yeah. makes you think. It's the art that's like, you know. So yeah, yeah, I totally get that distinction you're trying to make there. Yeah, and it's hard to contextualize in the sense that um there there's art that can make you feel good, right? Like there's art that can satiate you. But when it comes to um yeah, yeah, there there is um yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm sorry, I'm doing the mold bug bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I always do that in the podcast. Like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, it's, it's distinctive. It's yeah. distinctive. Um, um, no, I think that it's. I, I think that when art becomes instrumentalized, there's a lot of problems with. Um, I think every piece of art can be subject to politics and can be instrumentalized inevitably. Oh, um, sure. Yeah. Yeah just by its inherent nature of um, art having to deal with the question of being itself. But at the same time, I feel that um, I don't shy away from that. I don't say that like, Oh, well, it's bad. Like I can't, I just have to have art. That's not political, man. Like that's obviously bullshit, but I do feel that. um, Yeah. There has to be a deeper politics there. There has to be a deeper sort of approach to it. There can't just be like a replication of ideology, in other words. Yeah, yeah. The art should serve the function of the art, and the politics come second. I, at least that's my, you know. Uh, yeah, belief. yeah, yeah. Or rather, even the politics itself has to be subject to the, um, the yeah, art. The politics is downstream of the art. You do the right, art. Right. The art inflects the politics. And I think that's like the, as, and the other way is propaganda. The politics inflects the yeah. art. And that's yeah, like, exactly. that's that good art. Yeah. That's very fascistic, by the way. <laughs> the <laughs> art informs politics. No, it's true, though. I think that um, there was a thread the other day by a BAP poster about um, not shying away from it. I don't agree with this guy. Um, again, it's very hard, my position to uh, sell various critical yeah. theory people to, uh, you know, the right wing. But I do feel that, um, yeah, you can't, if aesthetics informs political ideology, that's a very interesting conundrum because I would argue that that's never happened for a very long time, for at least 60 to 50, even hundred years. Um, maybe, well, no, hundred years is too far, maybe like 70 years or so since yeah. the closing of the 20th century, let's say. Um, and I think that the implications of that is very interesting Absolutely. Um, because if the total aesthetic picture of a society or uh, an ethnos or a religion, um, if Absolutely. that informs political belief, um, I, I think that people unfortunately aren't thinking in terms of that. They're thinking in terms of there are these problems we have with the modern world and how do we have works of art that can motivate people towards the solutions to those problems, whatever those solutions may be. 
the problem is that is a very like that like the regime that we despise so much that is what they're doing right now absolutely so it, it becomes a question of does the service of art itself does it inspire a sort of spiritual longing within someone or does it inspire a sort of roadmap towards the political which i mean this sort of using art to map the political it is a reality it's always there as we speak but when it's explicit that is like you know it, yeah it becomes this very profound um, quandary if you will um in terms of like what it means to be yeah. quote-unquote dissident artist right because even framing yourself in those terms is like yeah no ugh, absolutely you know, like, ugh, like I mean, it's like you, you want to be an artist and if you are a dissident, you are a dissident, but you know, kind of like let someone else make that decision. You do your art, people will judge it and then they'll figure out like, oh, this guy's a dissident. This guy isn't. And like, this gets into something we want to talk about later in the pod about your uh, Confederacy of Shitposters essay, where you uh, get into what we have. Is it a movement or is it a, uh, an exchange of knowledge? And right. Matt and I were right. talking about this, and it, yeah, absolutely. Sorry about strange. that. Uh, no worries. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where are we? I'll, I'm the editor here, so I will. Uh, Just there's only one or two it. parts that you have to cut out, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, your uh, your audio is there with the car I, guy. I so, sorry, I forgot to mute the, it. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> no, I no think problem. you could probably take it out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily enough. Uh, I'm surprised it picked it up because I walked outside, but I have a loud voice. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't know how much but, you heard, uh, whatever fucking car shit. We'll figure but, uh, it out. Yeah. Or maybe maybe it about... stays in and we get in the, the meta, the podcast, like that meta field recording. Podcast <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, where yeah, I, I mean, that's, yeah. that's fine. People will subscribe because they heard me agree to expensive car repairs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people it was know like that, that Matt has a car, so yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, we're already doing pretty well here. <laughs> it was like that movie with, um, I think it was at Harmony Korean that produced it, where it was like okay. what it takes to be a porn star. Like, um, they like, oh, fuck, I forget. I know Default Friend was talking about it, but it was it was this like weird behind the scenes of like the, the decisions made and like, like that's real like Cinema Veritas stuff. But like, I mean... I don't know if podcasting could be like that. Like, oh, I believe in know. it. Yeah, like, yeah. Like um, people being obsessed with like behind the scenes shit. Um, yeah. My previous podcast, there was plenty of behind the scenes shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's always what happens when, especially you're doing it. Um, I feel like you have to have, like, you have to really, like, really vibe with each other. I think, and unfortunately, like as much as. Um, people like talk about oh well you know have a diversity of opinions when it comes to like if you're co-hosting i feel like um you need to be on the same page yeah, basically yeah, it's some inevitable. kind of same page yeah usually because like, somewhat you, somewhat you need to be chill with each other so it, yeah. you have to be on the same page of the general like direction and like where you want to go with it you have to be both yeah. on the same aesthetic yeah. crucially so same as actually i think being on the same aesthetic page is more important than being on the same political page maybe that's what you mm, mean interesting but yeah. uh because yeah. like our friends i don't even want to comment on this i don't know i don't know the specifics of it but like our friends uh kevin kautzman and brad kelly two previous mm. new right guests their their podcast art of darkness i get the impression that their worldviews are pretty different but their pod yeah. is pretty united so yeah. Yeah. uh 
I think Dan and I are pretty on, on board with, in terms of, of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say, and this is one interesting anecdote. I don't think we've even really talked about it, but as we were deciding to do the pod at one point, we realized we had to have the, cause you know, we only had a few preliminary conversations, the red pill conversation where we had to, you know, say like, okay, we met on Justin Murphy's forum, you know, you're getting published by terror house. I seem to have some dissident ideas. So uh, how, you know, what, what does the red pill mean to you? Basically? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we, uh, you realize. We Sounds like you're page. in a gay bar together. Like, what is the- <laughs> <laughs> I think we did a pretty what? good job of, uh, you know, laying out yeah. an answer that was agreeable to both of us. That was based without being something that was needlessly controversial. Yeah. Yeah. That's because yeah. I think nowadays the model that controversy sells, like it only sells if you're willing to like, to base yourself i feel like um yeah you know well, well maybe we'll get into the i want to get back to the I, I don't know where you guys got on this the art and propaganda versus propaganda conversation definitely want to ask more about that so i don't want oh, yeah, to yeah. totally go in this direction now but i did want to talk about the um you, you know you've talked about how this we're going to talk about your your substack article confederacy of shit posters and your general project along with the podcast and you said this in a youtube video you're trying to make a sort of uh, encapsulation of the online rights uh, scene that ha- the likes of which hasn't been, and maybe even more complete than Angela Nagel's Kill All Normies yeah. mentioned. So yeah. I definitely want to ask you kind of just, and I, I am going to bracket it for later, I think, because I want to talk about art first, but I, I definitely am, you know, you've been around a long time. You mentioned, you know, you're an OG Stark listener and all that. Like you've been around a lot longer than a lot of people and you, you've kind of watched all these vibe shifts happen. It mm-hmm. kind of seems like there has been a step. I don't know if you agree with this, but like a bit of a step away from the transgression for transgression's sake. Yeah. On the online right and towards towards something else. Um, well, because people kept getting banned. That's why. No. Yeah. So some of it's out of necessity, but also some yeah. of it's like, how long are you going to troll, you know, before that loses its. I feel bigger, like. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really that's a fascinating question because I feel like um me and me me and ZHP were talking about this in the DMs once. We were talking about um certain people who are more newer to the quote unquote scene. I mean describing it as a scene is kind of like like you know, support your local scene, like you know, that's <laughs> the pol- yeah. the politics having yeah, having like had friends in like local music scenes, it's like that's there's always like the politics behind the surface. But for people who are newer, I guess they don't realize that there's a cycle to things. The cycle is you have a breakaway group, usually based off of a cult of personality. Um, and you say, uh, I don't like these people anymore. I want to be different. And, yeah. <laughs> mm. and then what happens, you stat, you cutthroat, you stab, you, what I call shark wooming. I wrote this article a long time ago for a person's website who shall not be named because he did this. Um, you know, uh, it was something, something Mercury. Anyways, um, uh, uh, I call it a shark wooming, where you sort of, in order to achieve like even the most modicum, small amount of like semi mainstream legitimacy, you like okay, you know how sharks, certain like uh, lion sharks, you know they reproduce. Um, the cubs yeah. they swim in the womb, right? Right. They swim in the womb, and they're blind. And they kill each other and only the last one who wins in this brutal contest of survival gets to swim out of the shark vagina and they get to reproduce. So that is Jeez. what I call shark wooming. Yeah, I know yeah. it's brutal. It's there's a actually a video. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually a video, I think, on the Discovery Channel about it. Um, 
the point being is that I think I, I, I had some like elaborate theory cell title about online ecologies or whatever. And the way it works is like you say, okay, I'm going to go to war with everybody else. And hopefully I can swim out the other side after I've shark wombed everybody else. Now there has been cases where that hasn't worked out. And there's cases where that's quite been quite successful. And even when there is success for a time, uh, with the recent implosion of someone, a group that used to be really big on Twitter, that sort of decided to um, spurn everybody else because the leader at the top is a megalomaniac and he's a, you know, without naming names, uh, you know, when it, com- when it comes to being a boy king. Um, <laughs> I think we all probably know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple streams about it. Um, no, but I think that's a great example in that um, you mentioned about transgression. I think when you're caught in this like sort of 2016 cycle of like transgression for its own sake, I think Angela Nago called them like great Gramscians, yeah. like ship posting, troll culture. I think ship posting has gotten more sophisticated out of necessity and out of the fact that the most like the most like edgier people um, have been relegated to places like Gab and Telegram and uh, Odyssey. And I think that in a one in one sense, in one sense, this is controversial now. It does provide a bit of a like um, a cleaning up of like the worst offenders and people that like even Keith Woods mentioned this in his recent video about the, the uh, groups of the online, right. Yeah. Um, about like, you know, some of the worst, most like nihilistic people or like some of those juvenile, like edge posters that talk about, you know, very like depraved things. Um, in some ways it's good that they have like their little containment area, but in, cause I having interacted with some of them, they're very destructive people. They're very like, Oh yeah. And there's some bad seeds. <laughs> yeah, you've, yeah. You can never please them. You're never edgier enough, you know, but I do think the problem is that you have edgier people that were prolific posters that got clipped, but their ideas were amazing, but yet yeah. because they allowed themselves the space to transgress norms. Um, I mean, we can all, go down the list right like you know john winthrow or uh, who else am i thinking of amran peter griffin uh, like like oh yeah people who were like edge posters but they were very high iq about it like even people yeah. like hakan mm-hmm. um like everyone everyone remembers the iconic like tumeric monster tweet like come on everyone does right but so that is unfortunate so it's always a give and take like unfortunately we're given the hands that were like we're given the cards we're dealt with and we have to realize that we are we do exist on enemy territory i mean that's just a fact i mean they're all going to come for us one day unfortunately um I, i'm shocked actually that i haven't been clipped yet um but i mean i feel like there's a way you can sort of swim under in the undertow without but then again i mean who knows i mean if they if if they've gritted you out as a certain you know as a certain dissident, as a certain sort of contagion, um, they want you gone, you're gone, right? Like Keith Woods, great example. He had superior OPSEC to everybody, but they wanted him gone for obvious reasons, right? Because Keith Woods is a powerful voice. So if they, so Twitter gave him some bullshit excuse about like manipulation or whatever, right? Like it's, it doesn't matter, right? Because if, if you are the biggest blade of grass, 
you get the you get the weed whacker you know like that's that is very unfortunate but um and i don't really have a solution for that i don't think anyone potential solution is that when you get bigger you start to make friends and then you know you if if you're like truly someone who is like they're gonna put bring the band hammer down on over and over like keith woods yeah you're, you're gonna have trouble finding your way back but like I think one of the most valuable things and one of the kind of things everyone should strive for is start off and on make friends. And once you have friends, you can always come back. I think that the purpose is not, um, okay. People, uh, they, they think that, okay, why is it they don't press the nuke and get rid of all of us? Like Facebook is done or whatever. Right. Because the purpose of band waves is not that. The purpose of band waves is to sow fear, FUD. What is it called? FUD, um, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So if you manage to cap the engagement of people that you've deemed verboten, but you've also managed to get rid of their strongest voices or their most subversive voices, that is a way of weeding out the influence of certain groups. It's better, though, in the long run than completely destroying everybody the way that Facebook has done or other places, because you've managed to create a little Skinner box where you've given them just enough hope that one day they could be like a, you know, prolific poster. But when you scatter the ranks and they've had to sort of, you've had to sort of diffuse yourself to other platforms. And it's, it's, it's such a long slog to build up your quote unquote brand that in a way to frustrate rather than destroy and and erase is even more effective because now you have, because remember Twitter, the algorithm is based on, on controversy. It's based on engagement right now. I know that they place people in little categories. For example, if you quote tweet a blue check, it's very rare that they'll actually see it unless they're seeking it out. Um, The algorithm has sort of a magical way of slotting people. But at the same time, if you can generate enough controversy and give people the illusion that you can exist on a platform, that is way better than the Facebook model. The Mark Zuckerberg model is that you're gone. You can't post certain things. It's over, right? Notice how, no, I mean, there are some people though. There are some people that exist on TikTok. I've, I've been made aware of this by my friends that there's dissidents on TikTok and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a whole though, as creating a concisive slice of it, the way that frog Twitter. And then later, I guess you would say the distant right or whatever created a slice of Twitter for ourselves. That's never going to happen on TikTok or Facebook or whatever. I mean, maybe DM groups, right? Maybe Facebook groups, but like you're just subject to a different standard because those platforms are not meant for discourse. They're meant for other, I mean, maybe TikTok, but they're meant for other things, at least in my estimation, and I mean, let's face the discourse on TikTok is abysmal. So like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. No, interesting. Yeah. But as you sort of noted, there is a, I do think there's kind of a way to swim under the undertow uh, on Twitter and kind of not get bad. I mean, it seems like you're very adept at, as we mentioned earlier, the kind of different levels of being semi-anonymous here, uh, not saying this yeah. thing there, having the multiple platforms, having a paywall on Patreon and saying more spicy stuff behind that, Telegram saying more spicy stuff. Like, for example, on your Twitter, 
and don't take this. I hope this doesn't sound like a, a, a bad thing, but on your Twitter, you're very, you're very, you seem like a nice guy on Twitter. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah. You're not, um, I think that's, that helps. As you said with Keith Woods, if they really wanted you gone, they'd find a reason, but it does seem like you, you do a good job of, you know, you, when you go to your account, it, it looks like it's mostly an art account. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which I mean, I have to get better at. I mean, I've had no time to, I have a lot of things I haven't published yet in terms of prints and all that, but, um, I'm, I'm starting to slowly, I'm getting help from Matthew and other people to start like um, getting ready to sell my artwork directly because I've just been lazy with, uh, I have a website, just I've been lazy with it. You know, I've been, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like leaving BTR, like, sorry, leaving follow the rules has really uh, ca- uh. Ca- ca- give me a kick in the ass in terms of, um, but yeah, you know, definitely. I think like, um, I mean, I've, I've always experienced heat with certain people. Um, which is funny. I'm actually coming off the heels of getting totally obliterated by a certain poster, but me and him behind the scenes, I can't say anything right now because I haven't recorded the episode, but, um, I'm going to have the last laugh because I've, I've, uh, this person has agreed to come on my podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> so I've yeah. won in that engagement. Um, cause sometimes you have to take your lumps because sometimes people like, like, you know, I mean, to get a lot of it for my weight and all that, but like, some people just irrationally don't like you. I mean, that's, yeah. but I've, I've experienced, like, I, I think because I'm totally paranoid, not of people that are in these circles. Cause I know there's certain people that don't like me. I'm more afraid of like getting dogpiled, especially by ironists. If you find a left ironist, like a Chapo person, just, ban- just block them right off the bat. Yeah. Just block them. Make sure that um, you have their network blocked because I noticed that, as soon as the eye of Sauron of the irony leftists, if they get on you, then those are the people that can get you banned. Those yeah. are the people that can get rid of you because they know people in Twitter. Um, recently, my good friend, Amy Therese, they've wanted to get rid of her for years. They recently got rid of her because she offended a certain very powerful group in Twitter, a certain very powerful identity group. That you can't. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I reserve telegram like, for spicier rants on things yeah because, no it, yeah. it seems like a, a good way to be yeah especially um, when it comes to a certain um people with a certain paraphilia um <laughs> that they say is an identity you really can't question like on twitter i'm gonna tell you this right now there are good people like my friend yurk who i for some miracle has not been you know he yurk and like lo-fi republican and other people yeah. they've hit these people harder than anyone else but for some reason i don't know why me because they the way that they word things is different but i'm gonna tell you this right now people that are on that certain gender spectrum that have a t in the name don't even bother trying to offend them because you're gonna get banned because in twitter they have the uh the 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 janissary tranissaries uh the the tranny (laughs) jannies um they, uh, they on twitter they have them it's real bronze age pervert even wrote about it do not just whatever you do 100%. if you value your account it's not worth it it's not my worth it. Account. yeah my old account when i first got more based and got on in like the early 2020s we got nuked oh, yeah. for a, a tranny joke 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there you I, go. I mean, I said much worse things. I, I, I yeah. thought it was funny. Everyone, I was actually replying to like a dirtbag left guy and like, you know, got oh. a bunch of likes and there like, but, but we, we both got banned and <laughs> that guy's gone now. And yeah. uh, my old account is gone, but that's yeah. good because like I have my new account and I'm, mm. I'm wiser and, yeah. you know, yeah. less bold. <laughs> no, so, it's unfortunate, but it's true. Yeah. So, is there any? I don't know. White pill is the wrong word. What, what do you? What do you make of the situation? I don't even. I'm not even completely up to date on this. But in, the Elon Musk possibly now paused. I'm hearing not paused. P o z z paused in the traditional sense. The the paused Elon uh, takeover of Twitter. Man, I bye, wish comments. his girlfriend choice. Right. Uh, well, I guess yeah. having sex with Grimes is like having sex with a man. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, one degree of separation from Chelsea Manning. So. One degree of separation from who? Chelsea Manning. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, no. One uh, Spradley. I don't know. Is that <laughs> is the that Elon like, thing? I don't yeah. know. I'm, I don't know I, what to make of it either, but I'm just curious. Yeah. If he's just doing a shit post, do you think that like, or like whether he'll actually have any real power again? I'm not even up to date on the latest news, whether it's even going to be a thing or not. But I think like some people are like doom posting about him, like welching on the deal. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that you can't expect a savior. I think you can't yeah. expect a Silicon Valley daddy to come about and be like, oh, oh, we're going to all your like we're going to make this the right wing equivalent of like wholesome chungus. Like you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to post uh, F slurs and N word in a gamer words to uh journalists. It's going to be amazing. You're going to go back to like 2013 Twitter. Um, no, that's not going to happen. I think that even if Elon takes over, it will be months and months and months before he actually sorts house. And even by then, um, I think the only thing that could come out of it would be a more transparent TOS and a more transparent algorithm and as to who gets banned or not. But like the whole, the hope that like, I remember when Elon did his acquisition that night was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All, all the amazing people came back. They all started yeah. posting gamer words and, and, and <laughs> edits with the Austrian painter. And like, I remember, I'll never forget this. It was Frentinol, Frentinol that posted this edit of like, um, I guess some art house film where they, it was like, um, like Nazi Germany, but like a first person perspective, like camera. And someone took the footage of like the SS stormtroopers going through the town as a parade and put that, that <laughs> the, the Thin Lizzy song, the boys are back in town. It's like all my Twitter friends are coming. The boys are back in town. And ah. I remember I watched that over and over again. I'm like, Oh my God, like, hold off guys. Hold off. Cool down. You know, don't be so eager because yeah. like, people well, it was assumed... an interesting moment with yeah. that because I was like, there's no way because Elon hadn't taken it over yet. But it seemed like people were like getting their accounts back. But I think that was kind of an illusion. People were just coming back and saying, yeah, people were coming it. back. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it created a sense where like, it, I don't know. It was a cool moment. It felt like maybe yeah. something real was going on. It felt on. genuine. It felt, it felt for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, BAP's take on it as often as the case was, was very good. Uh, he, you know, basically said like, this is not a savior Elon coming back, but it's, it's 2016 energy. It's Trump energy. Yeah. You know, anyone who really thought, you know, he was going to, quote unquote, save the country, probably a little naive, but it's just he pisses off yeah. the right people. Same with Elon. I don't know how yeah. demonstrably better he'll make Twitter, but, it, you know, 
he pisses off the right people. Uh, he's a good figurehead. Uh, yeah, I think I think yeah. the problem is that um, in some ways, it 2016 really like released a time warp in the sense that it kind of was like the right wing hippie movement. Um, right. There, you there was this that, great, yeah. yeah, there was this great metaphor quote, Menoquion Four. Mm-hmm where he said that something along the lines of like 2016 is our curse and our blessing. We're, you know, cursed to relive it over and over and over again, or rather relive the anticipation of having another 2016 moment. And I feel that that is in a way an anchor upon the right wing online. I think that it is like a good moment to have, but when you constantly live in the wake of a nostalgic moment, then it's kind of like millennial, like us millennials as a whole, right? Like it's, yeah, we're constantly living in the wake of a nostalgic moment and we're sort of like an addict trying to chase the dragon, right? Like, you know, chase the cherry high. It's like, that's going to lead to more frustration. And it also sort of, I think, negates the actual political realities that we're living in right now. I mean, think of it this way like how is it long has it been five almost six years since trump like yeah 2016 crazy like, yeah like the, the the amount of time that's i guess because of like the digitalization of life between trump's election night and now is like almost seems like a thousand centuries has gone by right like mm-hmm. like a century sure. has gone by and um i feel like the like the one end you want to resist the sort of like because I'm consciously aware of the fact, like some people would take my message as being like, you know, your, your optics cucking or whatever, like, and yeah, in a sense, I have optics, <laughs> optics cucking, but like, you know, even that term is like irrelevant now, but like, I, I do feel that in, in one sense, it is true that you have to capitulate to having the optics of like someone who is an offensive or whatever, but at the other time, the other, the other sense is that I find that to be a great tragedy because I feel that if ship posting is done right, and if sort of transgressing norms is serving a purpose, I feel that that has a place. But there are people that just want to like, you know, post merchant memes or whatever, post gamer words. And that's like very juvenile and that's not going to do anything. Like, I mean, it, it may offend somebody. It may like take like a wine ant and like make them, you know, put them in a tailspin. But like in <laughs> terms of like a whole, like if you take a good like high IQ shit poster like John Winthrop, like we still talk about his tweets to this day. Manaquan four, we still talk about his mm-hmm. tweets because they have a sort of a mind there. Yeah. Whereas, but they were transgression. Like they they posted like I forget which one. I think it was even Mike Ma that posted total gamer word heat death or whatever. Remember that one? Like no, like, I wasn't even. I'm not even. I don't go back as far, you know. But I know about. I think even case in point, yeah. I was. I wasn't really on Twitter until like 2017, 2018. But yeah. I, I, but I know about these guys, and I know about what they tweeted because the the reasons you're saying. Uh, there's there's a memory that out, you know, even for people who weren't there for it. Yeah. Well, that's why I really loved my interview with Trash World Citizen because some of his bangers. I mean, people talk about for this to this day. Like the one that I mentioned was. Um, I am a dog in America is the car that's in the summer heating up, you know, like I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a dog trapped in the car heating up or the, the most iconic contribution from trash world. Um, when he was known as echo autist was we're fucking things up that cannot easily be unfucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that is immortal. Like I've seen that everywhere. I've heard I've it. Seen that. And yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. again, wasn't on Twitter, but it's like, yeah, I've, I've heard the, the sentiment. I've probably seen a screen, yeah. you know, grab. 
or even like um, BAP, right? Like, I mean, oh, of course, yeah. You know, you well, you go, you enjoy taste, you go to wine bar, and you enjoy taste, tasteful banter. <laughs> you are gay. You are gay. Like, yeah, that. Yeah. Iconic, yeah. you know. Or Thomas. Like, Tom, this is more recent, but Thomas Seven. The Snorlax. The Snorlax. Yeah. Snorlax. Uh, yeah. That's one of my favorite tweets. We yeah. people don't get yeah. that, by the way. I showed it to uh, someone I know, and she was just like, well, "Why is this funny?" You have to really <laughs> it's Snorlax. It's, you it's really hilarious. To, you really have you, to take uh, a deep look into the abyss of like uh, you, Zoomer you male be, sexuality. Yeah. yeah. You have uh, to be, but yeah. if you if you do rock. take that gaze into the to the abyss of Zoomer male sexuality, it will make perfect sense i mean the second i heard it, i was like yeah i think i know a few people who pine i i wanted to do a stream i knew we alluded to it um i forget who it was it may have been default um what what is zoomer sexuality like nowadays not that i know i've sort of skipped so many epochs uh, of 2010 I, you know a default um, would be a, a better person to give you like a theory of 36 it. so yeah <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm technically... You would cop a charge if you. <laughs> <laughs> Close to it. Close I'm, to a, it. I'm yeah. a I'm a I'm a I'm a millennial, but I, you know I I know I know some I have I have Gen Z friends and uh, and I'm not even saying this applies to the people I know who are Gen Z, but just in my my estimation, it's just it's a very damaged generation. Yeah. Not that not that my yeah. generation isn't damaged in its own way too. Well, uh, we have I our just, own unique damage too. We have our own yeah. unique damage, but I mean the, the critical difference between you know we were maybe exposed to pornography at like 12 or 13. They were, you know, they had access even younger. That could be one way Whoa. of looking at it. Yeah. Uh, it just, it's just very, very digital, very, you know, post COVID. Uh, I don't want to, I'm not the best theorist of Gen Z sexuality, but the whole Snorlax of it all, I think it's, I think you have a lot of confused messaging and, 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 and people who, I obviously this doesn't, most people have normal sexualities, but I do yeah. think there's a little yeah. bit of that, like, uh, sort of, um, what's the word? My Little Pony type thing. Like, <laughs> and furries. It's like there's a, there's this weird digitization yeah. well, of sexuality and overlap with like hentai and like I don't know, being attracted to cartoons. It's I mean that's very men, paraphilic, right? Yeah. And like that's like maybe some of what's going on with the men and you know other ones maybe it's inflected by porn or more so by culture. You have a lot of you know uh, men who think they're women. And, um, you know, you have that, but, uh, you know, among women, it's like, there's a crazy amount of them who are going trans yeah, yeah. who are yeah. becoming, yeah. becoming men, which is the craziest fucking shit, because it's like, you know, being a man is actually, you know, not that easy. There's you know, a lot of, you know, like, so like if you are a woman who wants to be, wants a, man to be a man, it's like, you're going to be a bootlegged man. Well, that's, that's not really very good. You're not even going to uh, be a, you know, <laughs> yeah. A good man. <laughs> there are gender issues, and then again, I'll leave this topic before too long because again, I'm not, I'm no expert on it. Default Fred would have probably more uh, pronounced thoughts, but like, I think that yeah, there's there's some gender, there's a lot of gender stuff, and then there's also like age stuff. If this makes oh. any sense, I think a lot of Gen Z like feel I don't know what it is. It's like they feel like they missed out on their childhood in some way, yeah. So it gets inflected. They all want to be like babies or something. Uh, not again not obviously this doesn't apply to everyone but going back to the snorlax of it all like, i know a lot of it's like again not necessarily all gen z but like there's this sense of like nostalgia for like their childhood cartoons and stuff that like can even get inflected in sexuality yeah in a yeah. weird way yeah. uh again it's the damage of it all it's that i'm not ready for the adult world the adult but and, you know and you know i feel bad for them 
Plus millennials like, had that as well, but not yeah. in like a dramatic. I feel like it's more I think dramatic. Millennial yeah. nostalgia is nostalgia for a time before the internet, our childhoods. Oh, yeah. It's yep. a nostalgia yeah. for the, we were the last people to live in the real world. And exactly. so it's a, it's a nostalgia for, are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. It's a nostalgia for like playing in the street, you know, stick ball, whatever. Yeah. It's a nostalgia for like going to the bowling alley and. Uh, yeah. That's uh, why the liminal space compilations are so mm-hmm. powerful. Yeah. It's a nostalgia for not being able to look at, you know, the hardcore pornography, whatever you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because like, your, your fantasy life was like, so like, I'm okay. We were all teenagers, but like in any case, it was just way more like you'd fantasize about that girl in your class. You'd fantasize yeah. about that glimpse of, you know, a tit that you got. Right. And like when she bent over, yeah, when she bent over her skirt. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like now it's just like, Oh yeah. You know, I'll just fire up a uh, you know, porn hub. And mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> no, are you kidding me? They're firing up, uh, you know, uh, what's the name? What's the hentai site? Um, I don't know. <laughs> oh man, I don't even know. Ex Buru or whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh fuck. No, but it's true. I think like the millennial has very unique pathologies on themselves because of like being in this constant like crossover generation. Um, but like the Zoomer, I think like they they're total sort of their minds are totally grafted towards hyperreality. Yeah. Millennials oh, yeah. You, you summed it up. Well, that's what I was trying to get at earlier. Minds grafted towards hyperreality and whether that takes the, the form of gender shape shifting or a, yeah. sort of age shape shifting. It's, it's that it's, it's, it's hyperreality and it's, it's hyperreality kind of crossing over sexuality. I think well, that's the essence yeah. of the Snorlax uh, yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we could go all day on that, but yeah, let's, you want to move on and sure you know, sure sure move on uh, to the snorlax well i want to go back I, you know i got CDs. distracted by this fucking uh car call that i got uh um but i don't so we were talking about passage prize we were talking about art um and uh we i definitely i really enjoyed your 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 kind of you know write it you, you write on Substack in a way that's more like the way that i do like uh, you don't write like tons of you don't write like a weekly short blog like you write like long form content which i appreciate i want to do the weekly thing but i noticed that every Hard, time i try yeah. to do it it's like oh i want to add so much more and then i get fucking that's exactly what I, it's like stonewalled yeah and i you know what I, I accept i think on one hand it's good to just get stuff out there but on the other hand like if if you if you work better in long form like there's no reason to yeah you know that's that's just how you work but anyway really enjoyed your piece right-wing art and impossibility and i have a couple basic bitch uh questions going off of it uh Starting with, uh, and I, I read the piece, so I have my own interpretation of what you said. I don't remember half of it, so that was kind of me writing in the days, uh, me writing in like a shotgunning it. But like, go ahead, yeah, yeah. Go. How would how so very simply? How would you define quote unquote right wing art? Well, I think that's my point. Is that I can't define. <laughs> sure, no, sure. I th- Fair yeah, answer. I th- yeah, I think that um, the piece was trying to say about how um, if if the right wing wants to get back to an integral whole and, and sort of like. I won't even want to say pre-modern because there's sort of certain modernist tendencies that are getting more popular on the right wing. Yeah. But I feel that when it comes to like art as a movement, now that we've surpassed the age of the art movement, we're in sort of like hyper-modernity or post-modernity, whatever you want to call it. Um, I feel that an explicit right wing aesthetics. Um, what did I argue in that one? It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that it's an impossibility. It's that 
the movement that would require is dealing with sort of, or it's, it's an engagement with ordinary life in a way uh-huh. that doesn't have a sort of quote unquote special, um, special conceptual framework in, in towards approaching everyday life. The way that if you read um, Berger's book, uh, Theory of the Avant-Garde, where he talks about how the, um, the avant-garde and the surrealists, how they wanted to bring art into ordinary life. Um, with the right wing, there very much is, uh, there are other entities in the background. There's religion, there is race, there's other things that require the content of the right wing work of art to not yeah. frame itself in, in like, this is an explicit right wing movie. Cause exactly. there has been like, I mean, there's culture movements, there's frog Twitter, for instance, there's like, but those are very much an avant-garde in a different way. They're, they're avant-garde of discourse there. Yes. There are memes, there's an aesthetic, there's an image, but when it comes to the actual making of the work of art, uh, there's a difference there because you are no you you are trying to like bring things up to a higher concept instead of lowering things down to like everyday life. Yeah, if that makes sense. No, it it, it does. And uh, what a couple pullout quotes I had from from the Substack piece yeah. was, uh, and this is actually this is more of a um, this is a paraphrase more than a quote. But you said that right wing aesthetics always already exist within sentiments and affects outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, people, you know, it's a little, it's a, you, you're a bit of a, a theory guy, which I am too, so no shame. But to unpack that, my, to unpack my interpretation of that, and you could tell me if I'm totally off base here, um, but basically that art that is right-wing or could be described as right-wing or the type of right-wing art that we would want to advocate more so than mere propaganda is art that appeals to certain sentiments and affects out that are that are not in themselves explicitly political or right wing right but that are the types of things that right wing again defined philosophically as someone oriented towards hierarchy oriented towards greatness oriented towards the divine um these sentiments and affects exist outside of politics you know if you want to look at and i know you talk a lot about this if you want to look at the history of religious art that all mm-hmm. of that and there's some i guess quasi lefty religious art but to bracket that yeah. like yeah. most of it could be described broadly as sort of right wing, at least having it a right wing appeal because it is oriented towards divinity. Yeah. Um, and then, if you want to talk about, and you you know you you've painted like bodybuilders and such, and that sort of Bapian aesthetic, you know that that too oriented towards um, greatness, oriented towards strength. So uh, it's not even that complicated of a thing. But like basically, that was kind of my read on on what you're saying is that right wing art. If you're if you're focusing too much on like this is political art, you've already kind of missed the boat. What it really is about is creating right. art that embodies right wing. What you know, quote, and I say quote unquote right wing values because the values aren't intrinsically they're so much bigger than politics, but they right. are the type of thing that the right wing at its best, um, you know, that appeals to the right. Uh, and again, just boiling down to oversimplify a bit to hierarchy, greatness, divinity, order. You know, uh, yeah, exactly. That's hundred percent correct. I think that. I think the difference is that when I say words like, you know, hierarchy and wholeness and divinity and sort of like the totalizing picture of society, I think that there has been sort of right-wing millenarian movements, but they've been right-wing in a very particular sense, like the, you know, the fascists, the Italian futurists, what Nick Land is doing, right? Like, I mean, broadly speaking, the right-wing, to me anyways, is purporting values that already exist, Mm -hmm. but have been cloaked 
by time and by history and by certain developments coming out of European history in particular. Um, th throughout the, the global South, it may be different, um, but you know, sort of similar. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. I think the values that we strive for, they already exist. They're already there. I mean, it's just realizing them. It's very, yeah. it's very Mahayana in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, you know, um, th through Dharma, you will realize that Nirvana is already there. Um, exactly. Whereas the left wing, they have to create an artifice. So their yeah. art and aesthetics, you know, shit that I've been studying for years, they have to provoke the creation in tandem with the ideology that is giving them a roadmap towards what they conceive of as not a picture of an already existing integral self, but the creation of a new man. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with this because I know you quote Benjamin. I remember this from my critic and I, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about Benjamin. I, I, I yeah, not yeah, in agreement good. with him politically, but you know, I think he said things in a way that was, I think he's a good, he's a good thinker to read. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. And I'm sure you're familiar with his, you know, the thesis of the philosophy of history and Paul Clay's uh, angel. Yes. Yes, um, yes. Is that not, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that not an example of sort of left-wing art or a left-wing reading of art par excellence? Because as I recall, it's like, it's the angel who just sees one great catastrophe. You know, it's, it's a very abstract painting and it's almost the wreckage like, of history, the wreckage of yeah. history. It's all bad, whatever. And this is, was my, professor's reading of like the whole frankfurt school is like whatever whatever is good is outside of everything like it's this yeah this messy and not to get too like you know tinfoil hat about jews or something because i'm really not but like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like yeah, um yeah. this this whole notion of like um the met you know the the the, the messiah it has to be something totally outside yes, of this yeah. wreckage of her i mean look for better or worse that is what benjamin said and um I think that's a good example of like a sort of left-wing art where it's, yeah. it, it, it is, you know, ultimately we're all looking for something quote unquote good uh, and quote, maybe even divine, but like the left, the, the, the broadly like almost meta left-wing version of that is looking for some, looking for that outside of everything. So you have yes. a very abstract thing like Paul Clay's the angel and then Benjamin's interpretation thereof. That's like left-wing whereas right-wing art is you know the religious iconography or painting bodybuilders stuff that is good in a much more concrete sense like yeah the, yeah yeah i mean that's where the yeah it's like it's almost like the the higher the 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 more abstract version of like a very basic sort of right-wing talking point of like common sense and like just the stuff that seems good is good like that's actually like kind of kind of a right-wing value on a day-to-day -day level but then even with like something higher culture with art it's like you know the good is the beautiful yeah, yeah. i think the problem is that you're competing with two things. One in the sense is that you're competing with Italian futurism that has a totally, that disrupts this chain that I'm saying. And I mentioned this, I think in somewhere, like the Italian futurists, they disrupt this chain. I wrote an essay a long time ago about the Italian futurists, but the other end is that I think that you can't devolve right, quote unquote, right-wing art or the lack thereof into just repetitive catch where it becomes like Thomas Kincaid paintings of like Disney mm -hmm. cottages and, like wholesome chungus crap i think that good art should have an, a more Im, uh, impact on the senses that um if you're dealing with the direct engagement with being itself there should be something there than a self-contained world where you're sort of like weirdo um return to 1950s housewife fantasy is like satiated i think like yeah. there's something deeper there but let me read you actually because I, I wanted to write 
part of my series, which I have to get back and doing, but again, podcasting takes up all my time. Um, I wanted to write uh, mentioning Clee's Angel by Benjamin about um, right-wing futurism. Uh, so this is a section, this is from the fifth section. Um, where, let me see, where is it? Yeah, okay, so um, the true picture of the past flirts, flits by, flits by, flits by. Well, the past can be seized only as an image which flashes up as an instant when it can be recognized and it can never be seen again. The truth will now run away from us in the historical outlook of historicism. Those words of, of Godfrey Keller mark the exact point where the historical materialism cuts through historicism. For every image of the past that is not recognized by the present as one of its own concerns threatens to disappear irretrievably, irrevocably. The good tidings which the historian of the past brings with throbbing heart may be lost in a void the very moment he opens his mouth. To articulate the past historically does not mean to recognize it uh, the way it w- really was. It means to seize hold of a memory as it flashes up as the most dangerous, uh, sorry, as a moment of danger. Historical materialism wishes to retain that image of a past which unexplicitly appears to man singled out by the history at the moment of danger. The danger affects both the content and the tradition it receives. The same thread hangs over both that of becoming a tool of the ruling class in every era. The attempt. So again, Benjamin is talking about fascist art as like mm-hmm. the historical past becoming a tool of the ruling class. But of course we like that because it's based um, <laughs> the, tr- the well, not the current ruling class. And so following on, he says the tradition of the oppressed teaches us the state of emergency in which we live is not to the exception, but a rule. So again, he's talking about like, you know, Schmidt, we must attain to a concept of history that is key, uh, keeping with the insight that we shall clearly realize that it is our task to bring about a real state of emergency and it will improve their position in the struggle against fascism, blah, blah, blah. One reason why fascism change uh, has a change is that in the name of progress, it opposes its opponents, treated as a historical norm. The current amazement that the things we are experiencing are still possible in the 20th century is not philosophical. This amazement is not the beginning of knowledge, uh, blah, blah, blah. So um, mm-hmm. Clee's painting, Angel Novus, shows an angel looking through... Uh, Though he is about to move away from something he is fixed contemplating, his eyes are staring, his mouth open, his wings are spread. Um, He is one picture, the angel of history. His face is turned towards the past when we perceive chain of events. He sees one single catastrophe which keeps piling wreckage, curls it from his feet. The angel would like to stay awake in the dead and make whole what has been smashed. Kind of like what we're trying to do. Um, But a Mm -hmm. storm is blowing from paradise. It has got caught in his wings with such a violent... Violence that the yeah. angel can no longer uh, close them. The storm irresistibly propels him into the future to which he is back is turned while the piling of debris before him grows skyward. The storm is what we call progress. So, I mean, I think that with Benjamin, I mean, he articulates like the leftist, I mean, I guess the sort of dialectical materialist view of history, but he I does think it. That, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you can keep on, but he does it in such a, cl- that's why I like Benjamin, even though I did, despite disagreeing with him politically yeah. is that he does write very clearly. I think he's very, he gets kind of the, to the heart of what I, you could kind of call it a hatred of life in like a Nietzschean <laughs> sense. Yeah. And you know, yeah. there are people who are born into circumstances, whatever uh, that where, where I can sort of see why they end up hating life uh, as, as you know, that, that sort of slave morality, so to speak, uh, not to get too Nietzschean about it, but it's, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with one thinker who's articulating that hatred of life so clearly, you know, the other thinker yeah. to, to pull out would be Nietzsche. And um, yeah, I found what you said interesting about like sort of the notion of right-wing art as a sort of Dharma. 
are like right-wing values in a, in a, in a sort of broader spiritual or philosophic sense, you're, you're trying to find what's already there. You're trying to, right. I think in a sense, affirm life, affirm what is good about reality yeah. and nature. Uh, I think these are, these are bigger philosophical things, but I think that is kind of what it means to be right-wing and what it mean, would mean to make right-wing art is to make a f- yeah. affirmative art. But, but then Benjamin, he warns of the dangers of this because that's inherently fascistic. And that's like to venerate the past in such a way as to capture the image of the past and to hold it up as a symbol. That is like terribly, like, like at the end of the essay, his famous essay, um, Art in the Age of Mechanical Reproduction, he like, he affirms the lack of the aura. He says there's new potential for an instrumentalization of art towards the bringing of this reconciliation of history. But in fact, the right wing goes, there is nothing to reconcile because the conquest of empires, we go, you know, we say Giga Chad, yes, you know, like, yes, exactly. That's what, yeah, exactly what it is. Yeah. It's, 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 the, it's, it's, it's like you're the, the Paul Clay's angel and you see the, the wreckage of history and you say, yes. Imagine Giga Chad <laughs> going to the right next to the, like, yeah. you know, those texts with like, uh, that those people from that anime forum, right? Like, it's like Giga Chad next to like the guy from the Nexium cult or whatever. Yeah. It's like, imagine like the Cleese angel going, we can't reconcile the past. We have to reconcile the past. We cannot hold the imaging. Giga Chad goes, what is there to reconcile? Like, exactly. Yeah, yeah no. Um, yeah. You know, these are, this is like, these are philosophical sort of waters, but like there is that, I think that is, there is that basic, there's that basic uh, thing of, of, of the right wing as a, as a, in, of something very affirmative of power structures and reality the left wing as something that, um, you know, tries to find a way out, around it or outside it, that more yeah. sort of quasi but, but not a blind affirmation though. Not a blind affirmation. Yeah, because no. then you get some like weird, weirdo, like NATO wave crap from, from people I'm not going to mention, but like, you know, um, weirdo, like, well, the neoliberal order is based because they're in power and they really know about will to power. And the, like, let's face the temporary left. They, like, what is that other person say uh the mm-hmm. best friend of the thinker of irony's logo um he says like <laughs> yeah you know like yeah they, like those people the the left they're the true nietzscheans and they have the will to power and we we're just a bunch of wholesome chungus retards that are trying to capitulate to something that's not going to exist anymore like <laughs> if you yeah. like that's like literally the nuclear black pill that provokes yeah. you to posting nato wave images and saying that those that power in the east that it's hopeless because the fucking Raytheon keeps giving the blue and yellow country a bunch of stinger missiles. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. It's just about power, right? It's about beauty. So, yeah. you know, yeah. the veneration of power, like power can be ugly. Power can be, exactly. you know, if, but if you are, if your North star is a beautiful woman, or is like a, uh, a beautiful landscape or whatever, that, that is always going to be, um, you know, I, I mean, at least at this moment in time, it will be right wing. Mm-hmm. It's coded that way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's what I mean. Like, it's not just like power as a property is not like, um, there are certain right wingers that it's just the blind worship of power. And they ended up, like I say, made away. mentally contorting <laughs> themselves. Yeah. 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 Mentally contorting themselves into like, basically supporting and like being a cheerleader for the regime but i don't know like that's uh, that i think requires it requires a different set of standards i think that a lot of those people 
um, like, especially if you don't have a foundation in any sort of metaphysics, then you can like very easily meme yourself into just worshiping power blindly. Yeah. You know, no, it can't, as you said, it can't just be an affirmative thing. And that's where, and I know you are on the same page about this. Like, that's where I think it is important to read the Frankfurt School, to read yeah, Benjamin, yeah. to yeah. read Foucault. And I want to ask you a little bit about your interest in Foucault in a second. Um, I, I find these people for, as reprehensible as some of their politics are and as just cringe as some of their shit is too. Yeah. D- d- you know, th- even like a Freud or, or even a Marx um, and, and Nietzsche kind of does a different, a more open, you know, more right wing version of this, but that whole digging into reality and Jung does this too. And I know you're something of a Jungian, yeah, yeah. that whole method, that whole sort of master of suspicion, quote unquote, way of um, digging into reality, trying to uncover sort of power dynamics in society, uh, even left wingers who do that, like, you know, uh, you know, Marx what was a lot of it's it's you know uh, Mussolini others have have said as much Marx wasn't wrong about everything you know no, some, some of his ana- analysis of capital for example and of the power dynamics therein was correct it's just a question of do you kind of have a solely critical relationship to that or solely affirmative and right. in reality we're all somewhere in between like you you have to yeah. be critical of it at times in you if you're critical of it you can you know subvert it like that being critical is important but what you get with something like the Frankfurt School, and even I think Foucault in a sort of more biopolitical sense is like a spiritualization of the criticism itself, where their whole, their whole thing becomes about criticizing reality. And it almost develops this spiritual element where it's like, yeah, messianism, you know, we need something from outside to save us. But right. you, can, you can kind of use the tools of that criticism to, to understand the world better and to, you know, to, to change the world in line with with which we would want while right. still being right. of the right where you don't, you do ultimately think, you know, there is goodness and affirmative things in the universe, whether it's God or, or whatever else. Um, don't really know where I was going with that, but basically that, yeah, you can, th- there is a value to criticism, even of an ostensibly left-wing variety, but you yeah. can use it yeah. basically to right-wing or, or traditionalist. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's kind of the wavelength you're on a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, most definitely. philosophically. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and if not, I mean, if anything, that's what their enemies believe, anyways. So it's <laughs> like, yeah, they and they have the the ability and the sort of resources and power to manifest that into the world. I mean, this is why Foucault is such an interesting thinker because, in some ways, he didn't. Um, you can never have a truly right wing Foucault, but I think that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for obvious reasons, but I, I think that I mean he's even even philosophically not just like the other stuff like which shall not you know rename nameless uh i think even philosophically <laughs> <laughs> he's too much of an individualist anarchist to really create um a basis of like a true right-wing appropriation uh but i think that when you i think him above all else has a very unique and useful critique of modern power knowledge than anything else even like i think this is why even a figure like Moldbug struggles to like grapple with the cathedral or whatever because there's no um sort of post-structuralist model there to address it if you're addressing like the sort of how he does in his very anglo legalistic system but i think that um even the frankfurt school like there if it's not just that these thinkers provide useful tools for you conceptually it's that not only do our enemies believe it, but they view it as a training manual. 
like even Foucault now, like, I mean, you know, there was the, the Ross Douthat article so about that. the right wing taking, yeah, the right wing taking up Foucault. Um, but like you have thinkers like, um, for example, I, I know this because I, I was talking to uh, Jeffrey Schollenberger about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we did this online conference together and uh, we were talking about Bratton, uh, how he responded in his book to a Giorgio Agamben during the pandemic. And how he has this vision of like positive biopower and how like, well, actually the neoliberal order creating like a biopolitical apparatus out of like bare life, out of the concerns of the health of the populace due to a state of exception that he's like, because we're like embodied biological beings and because we can spread germs to each other around the world, it's like, well, actually, you know, it's kind of good that the neoliberal regime is doing this because it's a positive biopolitical development. Right. But the problem is that in Foucault, there's an ambiguity there because Foucault, he's not like, uh, you know, Chomsky called him the most amoral man for a reason because he doesn't like, despite what right wingers think, he doesn't like affirm, like, oh, yes, you know, become trans, become this, become that. It's more of rather, he always stays within that critical mode. And he really only very shortly near the end of his life. Um, when he talks about like the care of the self or whatever, will he affirm a positive politics or a positive vision of the subject? But throughout his work, I mean, it's, it's very much like Nietzsche. It's very hard to like, with Nietzsche, it's actually easier to see what he's affirming and what he's rejecting. But with like Foucault is the logical sort of next step for Nietzsche in that, you know, he takes on the mantle of genealogy. He takes on the mantle of the critique of, you know, seeing these upsurges throughout history. Whereas, um, so that's why he, like, he doesn't really affirm, if anything, like this has been the great frustration with certain people within queer theory, for example, the great frustration with Michel Foucault is that he doesn't like, he doesn't exactly say what he, they want him to say. And yeah. then they sort of like cope and seethe about it. Then they mistranslate him or misappropriate his writings to be like, yeah, he actually, He's saying like trans rights are human rights or whatever, which I mean, if he was live nowadays, he probably would say trans rights is human rights. Yeah, but like, he no, probably but he would. Even but... believe, he doesn't even believe in human <clears throat> rights as a concept. Like that's the thing. He is very much an anti-humanist in a lot. Yeah. Of- oh yeah. I haven't read him extensively, but that's always been my reading is that he was, yeah. you know, influenced more, perhaps more by Nietzsche than anyone else. And that yeah, yes. he's involved in, this is a, a little bit untrue probably because this is to bring a different thinker's language in, but sort of like Adorno from Frankfurt School sort of ended up with his negative dialectics, again, just mm. kind of always being critical. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Foucault is from that same broader sort of generation of thinkers where, yeah, as you said, he's very much involved in a negative, you know, getting looking behind the surface of things, looking, looking behind the surface yeah. of everything type of framework and what you know it doesn't really jive with anything like what modern progressivism is um sort of the way that you know Foucault used Nietzsche who and I do I do do think it's I'm of the school of thought that it's inarguable that Nietzsche was a right-wing thinker but Foucault Mm. was able to use his kind of dialect you know his kind of critical take on things towards you know whatever his ends were it's like now the modern progressive left you try you know tries to use Foucault for their own purposes, but everyone's just in this process of, um, you know, taking the sort of critical tools of these thinkers without necessarily signing on to their 
affirmative vision, whatever that yeah. may or may not well, be. I'm not as well read in Foucault as some, but my understanding is that he delineates a, a study of power structures and how they affect the individual person. Yeah. And so when that is something that you're studying <clears throat> and you, you lay out a system for how to analyze it, that's a tool. And either side can use it. If and then you know, indeed, as uh, Douthat said, and I think as uh, Jeff Schulenberger has suggested, it's a good tool for the right now because, like, the left is in charge. So, you know, use the weapons that we have. And if yeah. one well, weapon yeah. is a way to analyze power structures to show, like, uh, so these values that you say are like transcendental, uh, these left liberal values. Uh, actually, you just shaped that society according to uh, this Foucaultian system. And like, well, you know, we can use it too. Yeah. Well, that's the thing because power, what people don't understand is that with Foucault and Nietzsche, power is a generative force, not a repressive force only. It can repress, but power is a generative thing. The subject is created by power. That is what power knowledge is, right? Because what is um, the, the sort of, the way he describes it is that he, studies the lesions of power on the body in various ways. So it's not about like the repression of sexuality, the way that these trans people or whatever think it's more of the production of that sexuality that really yeah. matters. It's, it's mm. power creates the subject to Foucault. I mean, you can say that it, it totally violates the notion by the way of like a true right-wing politics of like, that is an essentialism, which is that the subject is already ordained by us either by God or through biology or for, through history yeah. to take your right wing flavor. But at the same time, I think that to bracket that you could say very easily that the modern subject is created by power knowledge very easily. Mm -hmm. um, and it's inescapable. And I think that's why right wingers hate Foucault is because well, apart from <laughs> the other yeah. reasons why, but uh, you know um, I, I, I think that his system, like it's like the stupid, like liberal, as much as I like him as a writer, um, my friend Apex loves him. Like the Charles Taylor Foucault essay is terrible because he's like, why? Well, how come Foucault can't give us an outside of power in terms of democratic action? It's like, that's like to say that there's an outside of power to Foucault is like totally missing the point. Like, yeah. I, yeah. So people don't yeah. understand that. You know? Oh yeah. 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 No. But as you said, like, even if, if you have, you know, you may have a different right wing flavor take on you know what what makes a subject be it you know god biology whatever but the, the the again just to go back to the same point the critical toolbox that Foucault offers in terms of you know analyzing the way yeah. you know power creates and defines um a lot of it is true or there's at least a truth to it or it at least gives you yeah not totally but there's not totally true but there. there's it, it is a way that you can you know delve deeper into things and, and also it can be I think kind of flipped against the enemy, so to speak as well. Yeah. Because their subjectivity is also created by power. Exactly. Like, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, um, I, mean, I don't know if you've read Justin Murphy's book based Deleuze, but like there is, oh, yeah, I've read some of it. Yeah. yeah it, it's good. Deleuze may be a little bit more of a, a slightly more, slightly easier appropriation by the right than Foucault and by, by some of these others. But, you know, there is that possibility there. I was, pretty into critical theory just by virtue of being a philosophy major in college and so like mm. when i first kind of got quote unquote red pill i was i brought a lot of this into it and it's always been clear to me that like as for as lefty as a lot of these thinkers are like there really is the the, the, the you know you no know, one wants to be too much of a theory cell because it's really arcane but at the same time like it is 
fertile ground. Because essentially what all these people are, no matter how left wing, is they are all students of Nietzsche, who, again, yes. is the preeminent, uh, you know, postmodernist right wing thinker. Um, and, and I guess that you, you define yourself, Gio, as a postmodern rightist. And maybe it's oh, yeah. ground we've yeah. already covered. But how would how would you unpack that? Like, what does it mean to you to be a postmodern uh, rightist? I think just the recognition that. I have no like real hard and fast definition. I think it's more so that the recognition that in a certain postmodern condition that we're living in, that there is no such thing as like an overcoming of it. There is no such cope as like metamodern because metamodernism is a cope. Oh yeah. And, and our enemies have quite a cringe become cope accustomed too. to Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our enemies have become quite accustomed to liking metamodernism because as we know, the foundation of metamodernism is basically liberals trying to say that we can have sincerity again. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, it's David yeah. Foster Wallace. So I don't hate DFW, but it, it's yeah. it's that kind of neo sincere message. Which uh, it's even something as as pop culture as like The Office or something. There's a sort of yeah. neo sincerity. Yeah, to that. not all bad. It's kind of part of my childhood in a way. But it's the, that it's the, the limits of... of that. We quickly bumped on the limits of that. Exactly. So yeah. I, well, I had a Twitter space once. I think I'll release it one day with reality gamer and someone else um like we were talking about like the the like like twee core and like you know a lot of it is basically progressives having their own like wholesome chungus reddit aesthetic and it's like that in a way is like david foster wallace that's like new sincerity so um no postmodern right wing is like to me it's a recognition that we live in the postmodern condition but also through it we can realize certain quote-unquote right-wing values that can be slipped in through the back door by the collapse of prevailing meta-narratives from the 20th century to the early 21st century. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, I'm right there with you. I've always kind of identified um, as a kind of postmodern rightist. I'm not like a, I'm not a traditional traditionalist. I, I, I value yeah, I have a traditionalist lot of, tendencies, but not yeah. like total like trad- you know, I feel like, yeah, no, not return uh, to tradition with a V. Yeah, <laughs> no, not a fan of like the Benedictine option. Like it's more, you know, the the Rod Dreher thing. It's I, I, you know, it, oh, that's it, good until they Waco you, of course. Exactly. That's, so uh, I'm a believer, and I think the Frog Twitter is an embodiment of this. You know, I, I'm a believer in trying to fight on the grounds that 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 are that that we have, which are postmodern. Um, yes. You know, whether it's whether it's using memes, which are kind of, you know, very postmodern in terms of the way oh, they're construed, uh, whether it's just using technology, you know, openly using technology without having to unpack the whole irony there. Like uh, I'm all for sort of, you know, fight, you know, fighting on the fighting, fighting on the postmodern turf. And I also believe, as you said, uh, and as even like other random thinkers that I don't necessarily co-sign on everything, but they're, they're prominent, like Alexander Dugan, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, know, yeah he, he's really, so. he's written very interestingly about this. So yeah. I'm right there with you on that. And I wonder for you how it interacts with the kind of aesthetic question, because, uh, you know, you are a, you are, a, you, you would just, I would describe your art as um, fine art, but it's not exactly like classical. Like you do. No, God. It's at no. least semi-impressionistic, if not outright modernistic. And you're yes. also, you know, because we talk about like right, we were talking about earlier, even like right wing art is like some of these older forms. Like by that definition uh, that we came up with, like a lot of Western art from pretty much everything before the French Revolution could be described as right wing. But there's also right. some very interesting, you know, the Italian futurists, um, these people who I know are a very big influence on you. So I just want to comment on that, like the sort of aesthetic dimension of being a postmodern artist. Yeah. How you can have art that is both right wing and modern or even postmodern. Right. 
Well, I find elaborate copes to compensate for the fact that uh, I don't have the skill level of uh, Botticelli, but no, <laughs> no, um, no, I think that there, there is, I think there was a period in expressionism um, from like the sort of early 20th century to the middle 20th century where they very much like as much as they're venerated by like shit lib academia, you know, George Gross in particular and other painters like, uh, like cause they didn't like the Nazis. Um, yeah. They still, I think embody a sensibility of a very stark anti-modernism that in a way, in a way, like a lot of like modernist painting, believe it or not, is sort of like a weird appropriation or like a return to tradition that isn't yeah. like explicitly LARPing the styles of academicism. Because remember, in the very, very end of the 19th century, academicism in France especially was like, it was done for, like nobody liked it. Like it was, you know, people look at Bouguereau or whatever nowadays, like, you don't, you have to realize that like, there was a period where that shit was trash for most people. Like that was, we can't think of it nowadays because I think that there is a return to like, what is my friend Paul Rhodes called the G whiz, like, Ooh, G whiz. That takes a lot of skill to do. I think that people yeah. nowadays, it seems that there's been a Reddit appropriation of fine art where it's like Bob Ross, wholesome chungus, but also like, you know, Van Gogh and uh, Bouguereau. Like there seems to be like, the normie has colonized that sort of image space. Mm. And now when people look at the impressionists or the New York school or the, the Northwestern school that came before them, like people like Mark Toby, um, they're like, Oh, that's trash. That's like, you know, that's, that's, that's basically money laundering. Um, but those people were doing very specific things and a lot of them had terrible politics, but I feel that um, they were trying to create their own sort of metaphor, the sort of like metaphysical picture of like, it's, it's very much what John D. V. says in his book, Art, Art After Metaphysics, right? Like, that's my biggest inspiration, mm-hmm. where he's talking about how in the great collapse of signifiers after the war, the great collapse of cultural um, signposts where artists, uh, artists uh, maintain sustenance from for generations, in that collapse, the artist has entailed this horrible, terrible freedom and burden of, like, creating their own um, self-enclosed world of significance. And so I feel that the right wing is also attempting this nowadays. We haven't Mm -hmm. truly Uh. gotten over it. I mean, nowadays, I think kitsch is obviously more stronger. Like people love illustration more. People love like, people want like, they want realism. They just want like a wholesome chungus version of it. They don't like, they look at a, like a Bouguereau painting or some kind of illustration or, or something like digital art or whatever, like that, like early, early internet digital, digital art was way different. Like it was actual fine art. Like nowadays people love like glossy illustration and, you know, I, I don't know. I have a very, I have a very troubled relationship to that. Like illustration in particular. I think that people like, like what you were saying, Dan, like people, they want like shit that makes, not just makes them feel good, like shit that like, they Junk think food. looks good because they're like, oh, that takes a lot of skill to do. And there's artists that like have way more skill than I do. But like, I think that um, unfortunately, even the right wing falls into this trap of like, they equate skill with um, artistic merit. I mean, skill is but one vector of artistic merit. 
it's a it's important one but like it's it's more of i think the ability to um and again this is very heideggerian the ability to create a window into a world that interrogates itself so for example you were saying about like right-wing art implying something else that comes right like when i wrote that essay that comes right from heidegger in the sense of like his um essay the origins of the work of art where he's talking about the peasant shoes that van gogh painted right yeah it's it's implying a world unto itself whereas left-wing art implies a fictitious world that they want to hypostase into reality through various social engineering projects so cindy sherman is a good example go and look up her series of photographs of like these mannequins of the nineties, they were like distorted. And like, you know, uh, I had to write about her in my essay, abortion is normal um, bodily profanations. <laughs> it was about the gallery. Um, no, but like, if you look at that, like that very much is trying to create an image space for an instrumentalized political project that has yet to come into be. Whereas mm-hmm. the right wing venerates things that imply a world that already exists but it's being destroyed systematically. But the problem with that is the, the wager is that when you create art that is basically propaganda around the loss of that world, that is when you get like people doing fash wave or whatever. Like, you yeah. Know. And I, I, by the I, way, I like fash wave, but yeah, I just don't yeah, think yeah. it's fine art. <laughs> I yeah, think well, this there's in a some one... ways harkens back to an, an essay that Matt wrote which is on uh, restoring or not restoring, creating new traditions. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the yeah. Renaissance of the ritual. Yeah. Mike. And, Mark quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. I mean, I think that throughout the, uh, the E right, the, uh, our, our thing, we're engaged in this the thing creation, of ours. Is Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, in the creation of new rituals in the creation of new Very traditions. Much so. And that is something that, you know, you, we see in, in art as well. Yes. Yeah, you know, yeah. absolutely. But crucially new traditions. I think you're right, Gio, like not to get too spiritual with it or, or, or do too simplistically spiritual about it. But I think, yeah, I think in a spiritual sense to be right wing is to be, to, you don't necessarily have to be any, you know, this doesn't have to be, there's different flavors of this, but you yeah. do have to kind of be a perennialist in some sense. Like there is, in you mentioned some that, sense, yeah. that notion of like, you know, finding the Dharma that's already there. And lo and behold, a lot of, if you listen to someone like BAP and even others uh, talking about things like Buddhism and Hinduism, the, the argument yeah. is often like these things, like for as lefty as a lot of the people who practice them in the West are like, these are pretty right-wing, uh, old, very old schools of thought. And I think that being right-wing has to be some version of that where you yeah. are, are you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like the dramatic fall from grace that we're trying to get back to like some higher period of history. Like it can be a little more quotidian, a little less spiritually loaded than that, but there has to be some notion of some basic order of nature that whether or not it's good, it, it, it it is to be affirmed, you know? Right. Like, right. if you want to talk about Nietzsche as a right wing theory, I don't know if you necessarily say that nature is good, but I think you'd say it's to be affirmed. And I think exactly, yeah. Yeah. So I think when you're creating this, you can you can have uh, postmodern right wing art. You can have postmodern right wing ritual. Uh, it can be pretty postmodern in that it is coming from the postmodern soil. Exactly. You, know, you have to recognize we are postmodern subjects. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. But but it does that is the one critical thing is that it has to be rather than trying to create some new set of values or some new utopia, rather it is oriented yeah. towards again, just some natural order. Yeah, utopian thinking is like very interesting because it has provoked great art and aesthetics. I mean, 
super modists, uh, the Russian cosmists, um, they would be considered terribly reactionary now, especially exactly what's going on in Russia right now. Um, but like even Dugan says this right about like the sort of rival postmodern conception in Russia, in Eurasia, rather than in the West. Um, they have like sort of a different notion of postmodernism there. But I think mm-hmm. that like, um, yeah, I agree with what you say. I think because a lot of right wing tendencies nowadays, it seems to be this elaborate ghost dance where it's like people either overestimate their importance or they'll like totally black pill themselves or they'll be like, um, like back in the Thermidor magazine days, we called it doomsday optimism where it's like, oh, and, and, and you know, I have some of this tendency as well. Like, oh man, when things collapse, it's going to be amazing. I'm going to be my, I'm going to be an epic step warrior. I'm going to own the libs. Like I'm there was this one, this one meme I posted, someone made where it was a boomer Wojak, a boom Jack, and he's got a fucking M14 and there's like an apocalypse behind him. And he's got like a soy Jack in his hand with like a fucking Fox news shirt. It's like, that's what the boomers think is going to be the end of the world. Yeah. It's like, we're going to be on top. We're going to, we're going to destroy the millennial soy Jacks. We're going to like, you know, like, I think the problem is when you start to think of like all political life and all aesthetic life through a power fantasy or rather not a power fantasy or revenge fantasy. Like it's very much, and it's a powerful thing too. Like it's, it's powerful in the sense that it's a very, um, if you are in a position of being a right winger in North America, particular, um, it's like, it's very demoralizing. As we speak, I live in Canada, the most like, anti-right-wing country in the world right like it's yeah i shouldn't say that i think like in terms of laws like britain has way crazier laws Mm -hmm. than we do same with like new zealand um australia is getting bad but like in terms of the culture i mean you couldn't have like a worse example of like the poster boy of the neoliberal global homo global homogenous than justin trudeau i mean there's Mm -hmm. really no no worse right so i'm saying this knowing that my own power fantasy is that, yeah, I wish this place would just fucking burn to the ground, but then that's not realistic. Number one. And number two, what's going to happen on the other side of that, I don't think is going to be like this epic, like Caesar Augustus, you know, bronze age step warrior type of thing. I think that, that, that like a dramatic (laughs) shift, like put it this way, put it this way. We're already living in clouds. Exactly. This is what trash world said. It's very slow. It's already happening. The fact that we have to debate over things like killing our own children and fucking women cutting their tits off and all that. Like the fact that we have to debate um, any sort of rival civilization not being smashed and destroyed by the global empire. The fact that we have to even debate whether it's an inherent value of our own sense of being that we're engaged in these like weirdo experiments with reality. I mean... In a sense, we are living in collapse, but collapse is not like this dramatic, like, you know, the boomer with an M14 is going to redact a bunch of soy jacks or whatever. Like, no, it's not. Collapse is a process. It's very, you know, very much a process oriented thing. So if you think of that, like that, we're already living in collapse. In some ways, it's liberating because we yeah. can create like there's no what other bottom is there, really? can't go any lower yeah part if you're unless you're some like weirdo megalomaniac with some fucking cult of personality where you think that reality should be dictated by your own terms and your own like little movement but that being said really there is no way the, what bottom can we hit 
what bottom like is there a I well, mean, no, I shouldn't say that because then I'll bring it into reality. But there's a few things. But, there's a yeah. few more yeah. things. There's a few well, final frontiers. Well, we'll get there, I'm sure. <laughs> no, but well, I mean, like, it's liberating in that sense, you know. Um, so I do want to ask about we. I do want to talk about your other. We kind of talked about some of the themes already. I do want to talk about your other recent Substack article, the Confederacy of Shit Posters. As well as, because this is a lit podcast, we definitely want to talk about Confederacy of Dunces. But before oh, yeah. that, to just kind of chair on top of the foregoing conversation, um, where does Carl Jung fit into this? You describe yourself as a Jungian traditionalist. I have not read a lot of Jung, but I, what I've read, I kind of think, I used to read a lot of Freud in college, but I think I'm much more of a, a Jungian as most people on the right, I guess, would be. Mm. Uh yeah, I, I guess just how would you unpack, uh, you know, the meaning of Jungian yeah. traditionalist? Yeah, the, the Jungian futurist thing was kind of like tongue in cheek, but like, um, I, I think that there, there is actually work. I mean, there was that one guy, um, he used to write for Reality Sandwich, although, um, I sort of have a falling out with, uh, what's his name, Daniel Pinchback, who he. There was that one follow the rules stream with uh, him and Owen Cyclops that was quite fireworks. Um, you can never criticize these psychedelic people on anything, right? Like they, yeah. ironically enough, they're the least introspective. Um, <laughs> uh, um, oh, yeah, the, the, we we talked about we believe it or not, we've actually talked about I think talked about this issue on a previous pod, like uh, PHP, right? Or was it no with uh, a friend Brad Kelly? Brad. I don't. Yeah. We didn't mention break the rules by name, but. Uh, it was like, yeah, the Owen Cyclops is anti uh, psychedelic stance. Is this related? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so, um, no, there was this writer, uh, Jonathan, um, Jonathan Zapp, who wrote this great uh, article on Alex Gray too. But he has this concept called the uh, singularity archetype, which is like kind of this weird, like the archetype of like a great transformational shift. Like I think that in some ways, as young like gets lambasted as an essentialist and why academia has largely ignored him because of that. He is a hard, like you can't get more essentialist than young. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like, I don't know, maybe like a Sestri Debbie or someone, but like, I mean, no. <laughs> yeah. But like, that's young young's in terms of futurism. I think that these archetypes, and it's clear by his writing at the end of his life when he talked about the UFO phenomenon, he died around 1962, uh, right at the grips of the New Age movement. Although if you look at the Red Book, um, the black books that Young wrote in that constituted the text of the Red Book, he basically predicted the New Age movement by predicting the age of Aquarius. That came from Young back yeah. in like when he was in the Great World War uh, in the 1914. He was a physician. Um, unlike Freud, he had to go and actually become a field medic. Um, Freud at this time was very productive because he didn't like, I mean, half his patients were getting blown to pieces in the Somme, but um, he uh, had time to actually do theoretical research. And this is the period that you come out with totem and taboo. Um, You come out with his other more theoretical stuff on dreams because you didn't have to deal with patients. Um, yeah. because like half of them were getting blown up in Europe. Mm-hmm. And of course he welched out of being a physician because he knew people in high places. So, well, that's <laughs> too, too bad. The Austrian painter did not get Freud. He, he escaped to London. Um, but no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
But um, out of all the like, see, that's how the Nazis fucked up. They just they the, the you know they 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 persecuted the shop owner Shylock. They didn't go after the never mind, never mind. Cut. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, they didn't go after the real ones. Uh, anyways, um, oh god, that's terrible. I'm I'm joking. Right wing humor. Anyways, <laughs> the Jungian thing is, <laughs> I think that arc as, as we sort of realize the potential of the digital being as life gets consumed by the digital i think that young is achieving a lasting importance nowadays for two reasons one is that in the background things things are sort of strange um academics have not engaged a lot with young but i think that there's room to grow i think that certainly you could say that bojared can be engaged with young um but also i think unfortunately is that young is very easy to make content about because you're literally writing about the basis of the human self in the world. And so it's very easy to sort of turn young into like a self-help grift. Uh, unfortunately, like, again, not to name names, a lot of people have done this. And I think that unfortunately um, there is a darker implication to young. There is a problematic in terms of my Christian faith, there's a problematic Gnostic element of young there, I don't think that Young is like this wholesome chungus, like realize your own inner potential of self. Oh no, yeah. Become an integrated person, like clean your room, Bucko. Like, yes, there is that, but that's missing the point. That's the fucking self-help grift of it. That's not the true implication of Young in this century, I think is much more meaningful, but also much more terrifying than people think. And there's a lot of work to be done with that. I think that Young. I think that the reason young is coded as quote unquote right on the right is because, I mean, yes, there's a base essentialism there, but I think that um, it's viewing forces of history cyclically. And he's saying that these archetypes, they transform and they transmigrate into newer forms. So for example, he talked about the UFO phenomenon. So in modernity, these things don't leave us. They're, they're still there. The bricklage of the collect of collective being of the new sphere, the collective unconscious, it's still there. It's still present. It's just that it's covered up. So that I think is why a lot of people on the right have gravitated towards young is because it's a recognition that there is a baser, more ground level collective there, that there is something more ancient within man than the sort of uh, modern art or rather postmodern artifice that has been created. Yeah. The collective unconscious is an inherently, right-wing phenomenon because in some ways the memory of our species is you know it's a it's a history and it's a it's a right-wing history yeah what's that a1 type the aryan bloodline the a1 haplogroup Uh, h1b h1b yeah the the h1b (laughs) blood memory (laughs) is real yeah you know again even just the notion of essentialism of you know there yeah uh of there being a a way that that man is you know that that's not and i don't even know if that's what you mean by essentialism actually but you know it's 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 in defiance of the the left-wing you know, blank slateism. That's for sure. Create your own yeah. reality. Yeah. yeah. I just it's, want to jump in that that was R1B. H1B is H1B the visa, is the visa to bring say. foreign <laughs> workers in. So no, that's not. So H1B <laughs> is the slave. Is the yeah, slave class. H1B yeah. is the, yeah, the slave class visa program. R1B, R1B is, is the, the Aryan step warrior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, last, I guess the last thing I'll say on Young is, um, you know, one of my interests that I've kind of developed on this podcast that ties into that article that of mine that Dan referenced earlier, the, 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 the renaissance of the ritual article. Uh, I'm interested in kind of the, the weird sort of quasi right wing or potentially right wing underbelly of like new age stuff. And I think oh, yeah. pretty much, pretty much the Young of it all. And you can still find Young books in like any new age bookshop. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that, that is the, I'm not saying new age is all base. Cause most of it's not, most of it's terrible. A lot of it's a grift, but like in as far as there is this, <laughs> yeah, this ironic access to something more right wing within some of that. And definitely within traditional like theosophy and whatnot, it's, uh, you can find it through Jung. <laughs> yeah. There are people that even write like, um, th- like hit pieces on Jung, like trying to, um, equate him to the Austrian painters regime. There's that yeah. one book called um was it called Young the Aryan God? Like trying to uh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> called yeah Young the Aryan God or uh Return of the Aryan God or something. It was like basically saying that equating Young with like Volkism of you know oh yeah well look I mean I don't yeah. think equ- equ- equating is a stretch but the 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 dialogue between those two things is uh yes very powerful uh, is, is there yeah for sure yeah. um I know oh, that like the the Nazis gave him a pass or whatever but like uh I, I mean people on the one end like they make too much out of it but on the other end it's like um I think like Freud has basically created a lot of like inadvertently created a lot of leftist ideology especially when it comes to sexual politics that young is sort of ripe for appropriation by the political right for Mm -hmm. a number of reasons yeah um and like freud is like i think like the freudian lacanian sort of wilhelm reich aspect of it uh, of sort of like that's why they were sort of treated better in academia than young because you know young is for like the new age fair shit you know freud yeah is for serious philosophers, especially serious gender politics, mm. because that is um, essentially affirming what Jung ran against, which is a very libidinized set of, you know, libidinal aspect of the self that is, um, that I think it really is at the core of a lot of left-wing sexual politics. Whereas Jung is saying that the picture of the self is much more broader. The picture of human sexuality is also much more broader. Um, and, he has a lot of quote unquote problematic things when it comes to the picture of man and the picture of woman. Now there has been a lot of like new agers um, that have like, for example, like critiqued patriarchy or whatever. There's like Marie Louise von Franz. There's like uh, Marion Woodman. Um, there's like other like thinkers that take up young in like at oh, least yeah. a proto left wing way, but like not the like left wing politics of 2021. That is right. unthinkable. Because yeah. even Freud, I, I kind of have, not to defend him too much, but I, I kind of think, I don't necessarily think Freud was that left. I think it's more that he was very no, 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 appropriated no, 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 thereby. No. And yeah. it, it hasn't happened with Jung as much, probably because the work is more resistant, but it but it could happen and has a little bit. But but I basically agree with what you're saying. And I was getting, I guess I, I was going to ask about this because he's a fellow Torontoan. Uh, do you, do you, what's your general take on Jordan Peterson? Is he, is he a Jungian or are you... Uh, well, his book, Max of Meeting, is good. I mean, I think yeah. if you wanted to, I think it's an indispensable resource, but I think that. Um, 12 Rules for Life is basically. Oh, God. <laughs> 12 Rules for Life. Um, yeah. No, I think like Young, like, oh, Jordan Peterson, um, in some ways, he's kind of done a disservice to Jungianism. 
through his like public profile, through his sort of like self-help affirmation shit. But the other end, I, I don't know. I think like at the end of the day, he's just like an, a dork web gatekeeper <laughs> at the end of the day. Like, I mean, he's never going to really seriously um, address like the things that people like us are addressing. I think like he's very repellent to that because he's mm-hmm. very like, he has a very like boomer, like liberal, like, and the he guy does. used to campaign for the NDP back when the NDP was like working class politics. It wasn't like nowadays fucking Jagmeet Singh, right? This is a party of Jack Layton NDP. Um, for those who are in the know in Canada, um, no, like he, he very much is like, he's such a, he's like, he's a boomer. He's a boomer. Come on. He's a boomer, Canadian boomer. That's like slightly has some opinions of like, Oh, this thing is not going too well. Like, I know, <laughs> like the other day was amazing. The Sports they, Illustrated. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. all I wanted to ask you about. Cause you had a nuanced take on that, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she looks quite attractive i think that uh yeah. if but uh, but oh what's her name uh i know i did uh, no no i said she's hot I, well actually i think her oh name yeah, yeah. Is something like yummy so <laughs> yumi yumi yeah, yeah 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 no i think like if it wasn't in sports illustrated it there wouldn't be no controversy in my opinion i think like i mean yeah because she withstand to lose a few pounds i mean i i could withstand to lose a few pounds um no i think like I, I get where Jordan Peterson was going, but I think the problem is he could have like stated that maybe it's not good to normalize. Like, okay. So he's getting ratioed two ways there. One is he didn't, he wasn't explicit with body type. So they could say that having like other races as a beauty standard, they could easily accuse him of racism, which they have. Um, I, I mean, oh, 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 should I even say something about that? Um, I think that there's a reason why there's sparsely few um, white families in advertising nowadays. And I mean, we all know we can't can't lie about it, right? Like, um, yeah. no. so anyways, I, I do this thing where I try to appease the white nationalists, but I try not to. So it's yeah, I got yeah. a, a very narrow tightrope I have to walk. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, uh, no, I think that there's a reason why you don't see like white fathers in particular. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Know, like I, I, I'm cheekily, I'm cheekily alluding to it, but you know why? So anyways, he's getting ratioed in that regard. But the other regard is that it's the argument of, well, the beauty standards that have been instantiated in Western society since like say the 1980s is not healthy or no before 1970s. Right. That it's not healthy, that you should celebrate other body types, that it's alienating to most women, because let's face it, this Yumi chick looks like most women. I mean, maybe not, but like in terms of like her compared to the average Sports Illustrated model, like with the cut abs and everything, like she's closer, even though she's an idealized version of it. Although some people would say no. I mean, you know, she's closer to what an average woman who's somewhat sporty would look like as opposed to sports illustrated of the past with that being said i think i get what jordan peterson is saying that like you don't want to really normalize like especially in the context of sports illustrated you don't really want to normalize that type of body type when it comes to like sports and excellence yeah but then the argument is when it comes to other things when it comes to fashion when it comes to like the ordinary experiences of women like i personally don't have a problem if you want to have like within reason like some of these 
some of these women they try to normalize like uh, you know without sounding too bad but i i personally don't have a problem with seeing like a woman who is like that looks average looking like or bigger or whatever in like a fashion magazine or a clothing yeah. line like not every not every magazine is going to be fucking bloomingdales but like yeah. it is it is true like if you are like an average woman i can understand why you would feel alienated by that but that being said i i mean again he he has a way of walking into these non-controversies because for some reason he's occupied the leftist psyche the current like irony yeah, leftist psyche. You, you feel bad for the guy he yeah he, but uh like he doesn't know like we were talking about earlier, like, I mean, this is not the best comparison because you're, you know, you're a Twitter user. He's a, he was a professional psychologist, whatever. It's a kind of a different context, but you know, you talk about kind of like swimming the undertow or whatever, like kind of staying off, off like the really bad radar, yeah. not getting kicked off. Jordan Peterson's the exact opposite. His views are not that controversial there. They shouldn't be. I mean, they are, but they shouldn't be. Yeah. But he finds yeah. a way to piss off the most people. And like, you can just see it on his. How many face. bread tube essays? Video essays. Yeah. yeah. How many fucking video bread tube essays are there about how Jordan Peterson's a problematic fascist or whatever? Like that. Yeah. No, he like, he know. kind of in some way, and I'm not even blaming him. I think he just kind of stumbled into this. He, and he's did like the exact opposite of like the ironically yeah. more mentally healthy, quote unquote, uh, thing to do in the, the modern age, which is like, he really well, just. He, just, he made a lot of money off of it though so you gotta I, yeah there's that but my <laughs> god he just like the whole story with him and russia and like oh I just feel god bad and then yeah. some of that was unrelated some of that was probably just his own depression i don't trust whatever, his but, daughter in any oh way my god i mean she's hot <laughs> but wow it's a fucked is up is she really she's kind of getting there i don't know like it's been a while i think i don't know she's I very think she's still pretty hot yeah she's pretty hot but i think the problem is that evil she yeah, she has Possibly. the mind of a man, so she knows that she's hot. Kind of like Lauren Southern. Oh, God, I shouldn't mention another e-celeb, but uh, no, it's kind of like yeah. <laughs> you know you're hot, so you use that to your advantage. Oh, yeah. Like, a lot of, like, the creepy, like, stuff between him and her, like the fucking bikini photos, and <laughs> the Russian boyfriend, and the institution, and them being his public agent. And it's, like, very much, like, psychotic daddy daddy issue right oh 100 it's like it's weirdly transparent but listen i I do wish them both the best uh it's kind of weird (laughs) yeah 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 it's that's another thing uh well that's another topic for another time but fair enough unless you're talking about pornography and all that but um yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um no no yeah yeah there's 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 a weird dynamic there but i think that jordan peterson like Again, like he's just a boomer that stumbled into controversy, and I think he can never like truly get out of it. Like he's just he cemented his role in that, and like I think he does provide value for some people. But I mean, the notion that you're gonna watch a Jordan Peterson video and then go on to like I don't know, like will be like a middle ground between like what's the middle ground between Jordan Peterson and TRS? I don't know. Or, or Jordan maybe, Peterson maybe you, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Pretty maybe much. On Twitter. Like, I guess, BAP, yeah. BAP could be, I mean, that was an old BAP, thing for a Yeah. While. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's you're going to like, it, yeah. You're going to like watch Jordan Peterson lectures. You're going to read bronze age mindset. Then as soon as you know, you're posting merchant memes on telegram, like, and, and like, you know, getting insulted by Eric Stryker or whoever, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's happened to someone, I'm sure. Yeah, but, oh, no, definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the radicalization pipeline, it's true to an extent, but, like, 
it's not like what they think. It's like, I think it's just awakens proclivities that you already have within you. Exactly. And it's like, yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to like go and post merchant memes and like, here's the thing, I'm not even salting the daily stormer. I happen to think that Andrew England's a good writer. Um, I know he pisses a lot of people, but like, um, no, it's like, I'm just using them as like a caricature example. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if, if you like, I think that, the pipeline happens, like I said, because you have these tendencies within you, but also I think that they provide you an opportunity to like actualize them. Like you're mm-hmm. not going to like go from Jordan Peterson to like, um, like, like yes. reading like uh, the Turner diaries or whatever. Like you're not going to, you know what I mean? Or yeah, yeah. you're not going to get it. Like you're, you're, yeah, no. I mean, I you're, think- I think the, 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 the Peterson to BAP thing might be a little more real. I always, kind of, yeah. I think it was a bit yeah. of a meme and a bit of a joke. They used to say BAP is like the subtext of Jordan Peterson. I, I always kind of fucked with that <laughs> idea. I yeah, think there's, yeah. there is a truth to it because they are both like right wing thinkers who are deeply rooted in, and I don't know if BAP is a young, Jungian, but you know, so, some, some version of essentialism. Certainly. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Most yeah. Definitely think there's so much of a rabbit hole as just like i think we all kind of have the same red pilled knowledge which is basically hbd and once you get that knowledge it's you know like some people you know respond to it differently and it's not a rabbit hole like if you get that knowledge and you respond to it and you go to trs land well you were the type of person who was going to go to trs land after you got that knowledge (laughs) but like no but i'm not even knocking it i'm just that's that's the thing like it's yeah yeah exactly you're going like like say you you like you you uh stick to being classic classic paleo racist like uh nice guy (laughs) not really like you know, his ideas are horrifying to academia, but someone like Steve Saylor or Jared Taylor, like those guys, they're not going to like go and like see a black person in the middle of the street and start like saying gamer words or like crossing. (laughs) Like it's, these are very like respectable people, but even still, like say if you end up like, I don't know, watching the daily show every day, it's like, yeah, it's not, I'm not knocking. I'm just saying that like, Mm -hmm that's your issue. Like, I don't look at these things the way that a lib would like, Oh, that's terrible. I think that, you know, there are certain limitations to everything. Like there's a limitation to the way that BAP thinks there's a limitation to the way that TRS think there's a limitation to Jordan Peterson. There's a limitation to like, I mean, if you're, a, you know, if you're a theory, cell, like there's always going to be, I think um, there's never going to be a sum total perfect ideological uh, lens from which you can view all issues because you're inevitably going to have to choose. Now I'm so choosing to be more amicable to BAP means you're going to be a little less amicable to being a theory cell, which I mean, I've struggled with that, you know, because I've BAP has always been nice to me, but um, no, no, I think like inevitably, like if you, you know, it's either like this or that, you know, and whoever's in a beef with another person, mm-hmm. then it's like, I think that's again a big problem with the right though is that it is just like when you deal with an avant-garde you're going to deal with cults of personality not like a genuine institutionalized political movement that sort of avoids now institutional political movements in like academia and institutions themselves they do have these like petty bullshit politics of resentment but it's not to the same degree as cults of personality fighting for resource very limited resources like it's the dynamics are totally different. And yeah, I think that's absolutely impetus of why I'm trying to write this article series because right. I feel that 
like Angela Nagel did a decent job for 2016. And, and, you know, she's certainly learned a lot of lessons nowadays, having like watched a lot of her interviews, but I feel like kill all normies, like it, it has a very, it has a lot of in, limitations in the sense that it sort of devolves into the gossip of what was happening in 2017, 2016, 2018. Yeah. Like, and, and as you pointed yeah. out somewhere, it was written for zero books, which definitely yeah. Con- very tightly controlled what she was allowed yeah. to say and not say and the direction she ultimately exactly but she's i mean she's been on like good old boys that podcast yeah now that she's been excommunicated yeah. by by her comrade doug lane <laughs> <He's> been, <you laughs> know, uh, oh she's also been on tucker of course uh, yeah, 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 yeah 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 um her comrade <laughs> doug lane revolution be upon him you know <laughs> yeah yeah go ahead so i'm making a joke (laughs) no all good well i think we've kind of talked about a lot of the themes of this already but the other recent subsect of yours that we wanted to highlight is your article confederacy of shit posters which is basically Mm -hmm. that's what is that that's basically article one in this series yes uh sort of delineating the e-right sphere um i don't know if you want to give us like the tldr of it it's kind of like the right-wing art article it's 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 lengthy and there's 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 ins and outs to it so i don't know if there's an easy way to sum it up but but basically this is just your first step into summarizing yeah. this movement you've been by the way i did want to ask this like how long when did you i'm sorry to ask two questions at once but you can kind of talk about the article but also like when did you first get into this stuff what's kind of your history with it i wanted to um wait get into what stuff oh like when did you first come on twitter for example oh god okay oh yeah, yeah. We're sort of starting with the introduction in the middle. Or in- I know. I'm sorry. I just. <laughs> no, no, it's all right. Um, it's okay. good to give context because you, you have been here since the start. Kind of. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a very somewhat storied history. Um, I was in grad school. I was in my philosophy MA right before I did my politics MA, which I probably shouldn't have. I probably just tried to. I say I should have applied to a PhD program right away, but at that time I could have still did it and things weren't that bad, but like it was on a downward trend. Yeah. And um, unfortunately when you go to a university as I have, where the philosophy department was very interesting, it was filled with very interesting people. It was one of the only philosophy departments in North America that offered um, a full MA in either continental or Eastern philosophy, not a studies department, because unfortunately if you want to study those things, you have to go to like, a literature department or a studies department. Um, I say was because unfortunately, like all humanities departments in North America, our philosophy department was absolutely fucking bodied, got rolled into this general humanities program. Ah, fuck. Yeah. Professors retired, not giving enough money to, you know, bring on new blood, even though the department was connected to people that could have been brought in. Um, So I my supervisor was also a notorious figure who doesn't give a fuck. Like I consider him one of the last true academics. Mm-hmm. Um, look him up, Rohit Dalvi. Um, he like oh, well, got fed up. Yeah. He was the chair of my department. Um, but like he, so basically I would have a hard time. I was basically sat down by people in, in my university saying like, listen, Gio, just do whatever you're doing now. Like the whole thing about being a professor, that's sort of like, kind of not an option for you um because i just don't have i don't possess the same personality as like most academics nowadays Mm -hmm. um but for a myriad of reasons um i wrote this essay in grad school in my frankfurt school class my critical theory class um about foucault and the frankfurt school and 
at the very end, I mentioned as a way of disrupting power, um, I mentioned the video artist, Nobody TM, who was very popular in the chans at this time uh, and had a whole website. And Nobody TM was actually a collection of different people. But I, I struck up a correspondence with the head editor. This was around 2014. And Nobody TM offered to put my essay on the original website. You can look up archives of it. Um, the essay is published on my WordPress as well. It's the one that pretty much everyone knows me from, Beholding a New Pale Horse. Um, mm-hmm. And I was offered to write for West Coast Reactionaries. I struck up a friendship with Adam Wallace. That's how I met Matthew the Stout, my good, my, what I would consider one of my best friends ever. Um, so I was writing for West Coast, but then West Coast, um, Adam Wallace decided to leave. He became quite a big figure in the movement. Um, and this is when I was convinced by them to go on Twitter. I have my Twitter account says it was created in like 2012, but that was yeah. because um, I had a Twitter account that I forgot about. I didn't go on it. Um, this was when Twitter was getting bigger. I didn't care about it, you know, whatever. Um, then that's when I went on Twitter was around 2014. And this is when I discovered frog Twitter and all the original posters so I've been around since then. And so what happened was West Coast went by the wayside because Adam Wallace left for his own personal reasons because he was, you know, he was a young guy himself and he was sort of like placed upon this role of being like the number one right-wing theory self. Um, so what happened though, I was in contact with the man who would create Thermidor Magazine and I decided to jump ship because I was like the first one that, you know, I was the first one to be informed that West Coast was going under. So then I decided to go with Thermidor Magazine. And that is when um, I was introduced to, I had read some stuff before, but this is when I was introduced to the, like the right wing, like reactionary blogger sphere, mm-hmm. um, people like Moldbug and, you know, others. Um, and, you know, I was in a group of like very talented writers, um, people that are still around from that day. Um, a lot of people left. So this is when frog Twitter was a united force. This is when you would have people that were, um, Thormanor magazine and social matter became the landing zone of like the serious writing that was happening. But you had people from forums, you had like the biggest, the biggest e-celebs. Um, all of them were sort of presenting a united front around 2016. Um, but there was cracks in the surface. Uh, between between two two big people in particular people don't know this but yeah bap and you know who the thinker of ironies they sort of always uh, hated each other they sort of always never liked each other but it was just they could tolerate each other because they were relatively smaller fishes in a growing pond but when bap achieved his ascendancy and to the point where you know i i remember going into the grad lounge, uh, my, my other supervisor in poli sci, he's like, yeah, so what's this thing about bronze age mindset? And I'm like, you know, I'm mutual. I was mutuals with that at the time. And, uh, so it was very weird. Um, Mm -hmm. I think like I've I've sort of seen the genealogy of like the way frog Twitter, the way the E-Rate has developed. And I've sort of like, there's always a cycle attached to the way in which, things go up and things go down the way that there's a dark age and a renaissance posting. Um, so I wanted to like comment upon or like do a sort of mapping 
not necessarily of all the players involved, but rather the sort of the meta modes of inter, inter like sort of you know intellectual engagement and discourse in these like you know online right wing spaces. And Definitely. I feel that you know I feel like Angela Nagel was only doing a portion of that job for that particular time period. But, but the thing is, we still like I've said in the beginning of this, like we still live in the shadow of 2016. Um, oh yeah, definitely. No, that's so one are, thing that the, yeah. the Confederacy of Shitposters article really does a good job of kind of mapping out is of how we're still living in that in that shadow and how yeah you know, but uh, for good listen, or for bad, yeah, for, for good or for bad, you know, for good or for ill. Um, yeah, I think we've covered a lot of kind of the general just the article. People should absolutely go and read it. Um, and we are coming up on a you know a little over two hours now, so we should probably wrap up the show. But before we do, we definitely have to talk about the. The title of Confederacy of Shit Posters, because this is yeah. a literature podcast, is taken from Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to just kind of map out real quick uh, what, you know, what's the comparison there? The, the main character in Confederacy of Dunces is Ignatius J. Riley, who's a bit of a, and Dan can, I've actually not read the book, of, so Dan uh, can sum it up so too. So I, I wrote a novel that uh, is actually kind of thematically and stylistically similar to oh, wow. Confederacy of Dunces. It's called Nutcranker. It's coming out with Terror House. But, Nutcranker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Nice. And, uh, yeah. So Nutcranker is coming out. But, uh, you know, moving on from that plug there, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Confederacy of Dances. And um, yeah, so it kind of, um, it, it's written in the 60s, obviously, yep. the early 60s. And it, but it imagines a sort of proto edge lord proto neat uh who you know if if he were alive today ignatius J. Riley yeah would be an edge lord neat he's a monarchist he would literally be a chan poster nowadays yeah. He's, yeah. he's literally a monarchist yeah. in the book so it's like today if you're like you know in the e right you're like oh wow well this guy you know he knew what was up <laughs> yeah i i wrote i i was always fascinated because people kept comparing me to ignatius which I mean is kind of true. Um, like sort of someone who's steeped in like traditionalism, but is painfully modern. Someone who lives contradiction. Someone who's a neat, who like is, is repulsed by, but at the same time attracted to weird freaks. And um, I feel like the obsession with like right-wing schizo posting, like the schizo poster becomes the bauble of interest in, intellectually. But I think like Ignatius has so many characteristics of like, the e right poster but now instead oh, yeah. of going out into the jungle of like uh was it new york city or no louisiana uh, new, orleans. new orleans yes new orleans yeah yeah instead of going out into nola and like encountering like because you know nola being a ground zero a very interesting freaks for its you know, <laughs> oh yes rich history of different cultures in louisiana unlike any other place in the south right um i think like instead of encountering freaks in, in meat space i think that the like lug a bed a fat intellectual that likes to envision himself as an ancient man against time is in the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm oh, yeah. consciously aware. I'm very much someone of this archetype. Um, but also I wanted to talk more about another, another installment is like the sort of, like I, I cover this with crooner, the, the maker of the e-girl documentary and my, you know, content minded um, the sort of like obsessions with the e-girl and even like, why like right-wing men are obsessed with certain like leftoid femoids 
figures. I wanted right? to talk about that as well, given what you wrote yeah. about uh, Ignatius' Myrna. relationship with Myrna. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there there is a certain um, sexual fascination with woke or progressive women. Yeah. And like yeah. you find that, for instance, with um, for Jen Psaki. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah, she has the mommy milkers and she's pretty. <laughs> but uh, but, it, you know, but that's not why that's not why, you know, men online. This Nina, so it's because she has this, you know, the progressive ideology itself. You just you, you hate it, but you want to like you want to fuck it. You hate fuck <laughs> it. Yeah. No, yeah, no. But like also it. she is the voice of power. She literally is the voice of power. That Jen too, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a weird BDSM thing going on. Yeah. Has, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, she has no, the power. True. She's And she's like, you know, fully this like progressive women have embraced degeneracy. Yeah. And so, but that embrace of degeneracy, is that in some way a heightening of femininity? Because when women mm. are left to their natural, you know, state, they, they tend toward... <laughs> the longhouse, yeah. <laughs> This Nina woman, what's her name? Um, the new Supreme Court justice? No. <laughs> oh God, no, God, no. Uh, like, there's still, there, I yeah, mean, Kataji. Kataji yeah. Brown. Not, like, no, no. I think like <laughs> the right, the, the right, the E right is far too racist to admit their uh, race play fantasy. But I think no, the the, <laughs> the, the <laughs> something we could talk about. Um, no, the truths are the Nina. Oh, yes, I know. The theater girl. Yeah, Nina, oh, Jesus Jack, Christ. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jankowitz. Something. Jankowitz. Moskowitz. Yeah. Jankowitz. Yeah. Jankowitz. Whatever. I think it's Jankowitz. Yeah. Jankowski or something. Jankowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, like, she is another powerful, like, because she has very masculine features. And the way she talks, it's like, imagine the most, like, airheaded, like, Twitter moderator. You just want to, like, literally, um, like, like, a enact some kind of like borderline sexual assault fantasy that these right wingers have it's I, I i it sounds crazy but this obsession with them like okay let me set the stage so as you know mirna minkoff 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 yeah yeah she is literally a jewish cat lady glasses shit lib activist that talks 100%. about social and in like a nattiest like basically threatens to kidnap her and to like bride sack her <laughs> like the yeah. guy's is obsessed with this woman but she's like literally the antithesis she's literally a jewish activist woman that is <laughs> like like yeah. anything imagine like all the fucking stereotype of a like a, a shit lib woman that a that a, a right winger has she is it but ignatius cannot get enough of this woman ignatius yeah. fantasizes about marrying her like there's a real yeah. like sexual appeal. And I think that is true on the other side as well. Progressive oh, women, yeah. they want right wing men. They want yeah. your sexually, yeah. they want right wing. Maybe they don't want a right wing boyfriend, but I think it's, and it's in that sense, it's exactly the same. Like you want to the rad hang around Shinsaki, but you yeah. don't want to, you know, date her. You don't want to marry her because you know, <laughs> your your kids will be taught to be trans or whatever. <laughs> if you have kids at all, if, she if you have kids right, at all, right. extinguish yeah. them in the womb. Like that's you yeah. know, um, no, but like yeah, there's definitely there's something there's that sort of weird sexual compulsion there. I feel there's a libidinal element to it. Um, 
I think like, uh, but then like, why do you think the e-girl plagues the mind of the right winger? Why do you think the e-girl, like the the rad femme in particular, like fucking is, is like, on the one end, we're extremely hideously repulsed by them because they, let's face it, they have kind of shitty opinions about, well, a lot of things. Um, but at the same time, there's something about the rad femmes that just keep us going, that just compel us to engage with them. They're very much a succubus in that way. Like, they're very yeah, much, yeah. Like, you know, like they're a discourse succubus. <laughs> but like, why do you think, like, um, I said this once, and uh, there's kind of a possibility that I'm going to interview her one day. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Bad mm. femme. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> I said this once on Follow the Rules. There's a compulsion there. Because remember, a lot of people. They wanted to envision her as a 500-pound black woman. <laughs> I remember Zero HP Lovecraft tweeted this. Like he's eternally, he's my friend. I owe him, I owe him the world. He's given me so much advice over the years. He tweeted this photo of this like sassy, overweight black woman. Like, mm, like he's like, this is the docs of Radfem Hitler. <laughs> but no, but she actually looks like a fucking. Aryan princess. Right? Oh, there's I, I didn't realize there was actually a picture of her. Yeah, yeah. She oh, looks no. like an Aryan <laughs> blonde stepwoman. She looks yeah. like a wheat field girl. And so it's like there's there's some kind of like weird complex there. Why these supposed hyper-masculine right-wing men, they're like going out of their way to take the bait from Radfem Hitler. Yeah. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. I'll ask her that one day. I'm going to ask her about that. Well, like... <laughs> You're going to tune in for that episode. That's oh, hundred sure. percent. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. I think Dan and I, I don't even know if I should say this. Maybe I'll cut it out. But Dan and I were like, should we go after Radfem Hitler for the pod? Probably not. <laughs> Probably yeah. not for new right. However, I would love to hear the Gio Panachetti Radfem Hitler. Oh, yeah. Interview. That would so, be that would be something else. We'll, we'll um, look forward to it. We should probably wrap this show. Uh, we don't. We tend not to go for too much longer than two hours. But before we do that, uh, and you kind of already talked about some of your recent projects at the top, but like anything else you want to pitch, Gio? Anything at all? Pitch. Uh... Oh, you cut out for a bit there. Yeah, I went the whole show oh. without cutting out, and now, and now I just did. But now I'm you're back. Cutting out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think um, you can no, no, content minded's going strong. I have a bunch of interviews lined up. Um, I'm gonna try to get back into art. Uh, my seller's website um i'm going to actually start on monday if i have the chance um i'm going to uh start on youtube instead of uh my i used to write the series on wordpress called modern art madness and i'm just going to do it like every week um i'm probably going to put some on patreon as well um like me talking about one specific painting or work of art for 10 to 15 minutes or so um, I, you know, cheap and easy content people like, um, yeah, so that is, I'm also trying to do, um, trying to work out a stream with a close friend of mine who is also a YouTuber and, uh, yeah, so onwards and upwards, I have a lot of great interviews planned with different people. Um, I just have to schedule some, some people you don't expect that I don't usually interact with. Hmm. Um, but like a lot of my friends as well. Uh, I, I pretty much like the one-on-one interview format. I mean, I will have, like, I will do eventually streams of multiple people um, on a given topic, but I noticed that um, people really appreciate 
streams without a lot of noise, um, a lot of like interrupting and you yeah. know, and, and fucking schizos yelling at each other. Uh, um, but <laughs> no, no, no it's, like so, yeah, yeah. Too. Content minded is going great on both YouTube and Patreon. Um, I'm in the process of uploading everything as a backup to Odyssey, but I'm also going to start uploading um, content minded and style talks, which is the, the semi-regular art podcast to do with Matthew the Stout. Um, we're, we're planning to do more style talks, by the way. Um, I eventually want to bring in my friend Finn DeVeeler as the, uh, the sculptor. Um, but no, I'm going to put it, I think, on Anchor because people are requesting hmm. something that you can download. Um, so Anchor is, of course, free. So I'm going to put, you know, do that. Uh, I have a lot of things I have to do, actually. I'm actually more busy yeah, than when no, I was it, on. It yeah. seems like you're keeping busy, but no, we'll definitely be tuned in and, and everyone... Ever, all of our listeners should definitely, if you haven't already, check out Geo's stuff. It's really top tier content. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think with that, and check out New Right. I love the name New Right Podcast. Yeah. Thank New you. New Right yeah. Writer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I listened to the one with ZHP. I, I like that one. Awesome. Thank okay. you. Yeah. that he yeah. does two hours. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're we're a new uh, we're a new pod we're a newer podcast still. We're coming up on we're gonna come up on a year uh, in a few months, but we're still nice. we're still newer relatively speaking. So. Uh, definitely appreciate the uh, you know help you know pitching us out a little bit uh, it helps build up our subscriber base uh, and even just you being on of course we really appreciate oh, it yeah. so.